Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to episode 71, complete with new theme music, courtesy of the talented Brian McMillan. We've got two hours and 45 minutes of comic book crosstalk for you, with topics like OMAC and the other canceled New 52 titles, the current state of George Perez's career, Marvel's marketing, Mark Miller's trouble, and Spider-Man, comments by Charles Vess and Ariel Olivetti about Marvel. Mark Wade's amazing Spider-Man Daredevil crossover, Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men, as well as Wolverine 300, lots of babbling from Jeff about Punisher Max number 21, a debate about how many issues a creator can have in them, Secret Avengers, Astonishing X-Men, and Warren Ellis, discussion about in-canon behavior, the preview issue of Shonen Jump Alpha, Marvel 2-1 Volume 4, and of course, a little bit of cowbell. Who would want for anything more? Enjoy, and as always, thanks for listening. Hola. <laughs> Hola. I don't know why that was so funny to me, but I'm like, <laughs> somehow there was something really hilarious. I'm like, Graham, if you're going to try and pass yourself off as like your housekeeper or something, it's not going to work. Damn it! It's all gone horribly wrong already. <laughs> I have to say, even in the old days when it was just answering a telephone and not, you know, putting on a headphone and Skyping, I don't think it would have worked for you. So. Damn it. <laughs> I, I, it's all gone horribly, horribly wrong. I, I just, I can't go on. I know. I, the, the podcast ends here. <laughs> it pretty well would have to. Although I'm entertained by the idea that uh, if I hadn't caught on to your clever ruse, it would have continued, and we could have continued to uh, talk about comics, you pretending in a, you know, very interesting <laughs> accent. You're saying my accent let me down. Okay, I'll try and remember that. Y- yeah, it it, ah. may, it may be a bit of a tip-off, man. Ah. <laughs> so do you know why I'm actually genuinely frustrated? Uh, no. Uh, I'll, I'll let the listeners in on this. Um, after our conversation a couple of podcasts ago, my yes. wife convinced me that I, I should indeed try and write a theme song for the podcast. Yes. So thanks to the wonders of GarageBand, I did that very thing. And then I just realized I deleted it this morning when I was clearing out old files of Techland stories that I didn't need anymore. No. Yep. You, you didn't. I did. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Oh, I'm really, really, really frustrated with myself about that. Well, um, can you tell me? Can you just? Are you going to try and recreate it note for I note? I am. Then, I'm or? not going to try and recreate it note for note. I'm going to try and recreate it, but stronger, better, faster, Ooh. and all those other um, six million dollar man slash Kanye West buzzwords. <laughs> It's true. Well, when, once you've got uh, Kanye West in there, I think you also have to work in Daft Punk, right? I was going to say, yeah, really, it's, he just, did just completely rip off that Daft Punk song. <laughs> but they got a credit, didn't they? Am I wrong? Yeah, no, they was, totally Was it not did. like stronger featuring Daft Punk as opposed to yes. stronger, I, have just, I am just talking on top of the Daft Punk track? <laughs> I think it depends on what country you're in. I think more lax releasing laws uh, allowed the latter to be the title for the Icelandic uh, track titles. Um, the Icelandic. 
<laughs> Why did you go for Iceland? I don't know. I was kind of like uh, some sort of like I it was. I couldn't think of Ibiza fast enough, basically. So you know, we've Ibiza, we've, we've all got a, please. Ibiza. Thank you. Sorry. See, another reason why I shouldn't have gone there. Um, dude, I feel compelled that we should start talking about comics immediately. Oh, after the um, comment on, on Savage Critic. Yeah, yes. you're right. You let's know, talk which... about comics right now. Right now. And let's talk about the cancellation of the DC-52. I was hoping that was it precisely where you were going to go. Oh, but I've got somewhere awesome to go after that as well. Oh, wow. My goodness. Oh, You've come... Put it, put it, look... Have you seen Beats today? Uh, not... I thought so, but, like, maybe two or three hours ago. Okay, well, let's talk about the DC books then, and then I'll talk to you about the beat thing, and your head will explode. Exciting. I thought That's what so. what I was hoping for. <laughs> um, this is Cancellation of the 52. Poor old Mac. Poor, I know. Isn't that a heartbreaker? That really is a heartbreaker. I... I, I, I... I'm weirdly happy about it for this reason. Mm-hmm. They're stopping it before it can suck. Well, I would agree with you, except I kind of also felt like it was a story that was because of the pacing. Yeah, slow to get going. So I was kind of I honestly felt that it's it's best years possibly could have been ahead of it, you know. Um, But, you know, but I suppose that you're right. There is something to be said for, you know, hey, it's just kind of this weird, rough little gem or almost gem and now it's you, you know what's you know. kind of weirdly fascinating about it mm. it lasts eight issues the same length as the Kirby series whoa you're right that totally blows my mind I hadn't really thought isn't that kind of weird huh this is strange well you know and I I, I gotta say like uh, I because I adore Kirby's OMAC but Kirby's OMAC was having also was weirdly truncated and didn't really go anywhere mm-hmm. Yeah, it really had a tough time starting. I think that I is as much as and I really do. I adore o- Omac, but I almost believe that it's almost impossible to touch that first episode issue. You know, Kirby's Omac that first. Oh issue yeah, it, is, it like if it had just if it had been like the first issue special, like it was for Atlas, and it just there was no Omac after that. Yeah, I think it's the sort of thing that people look back and be like, "Oh my god, that's perfect." Yeah. Why didn't he do more of it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, even as it is, I mean, there's a point at about, I don't know, maybe issue five or six, I think, where Brother Eye kind of goes like, hey, Omac, we've decided you need a family to help you have, like, stronger ties. And they just assign him this family and they come in and they're like, well, hello, son. I thought that, I mean, it's a really sort of great, creepy moment, you know, but... But weirdly, like, Kirby, he was at, at such a stage where, like, the OMAC books are just so modular. Like, he really didn't have much of an interest in going deep on them. No, 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 that's just that it was like, here's your family. You'll never see them again. Yeah, exactly. For the next three or four issues, I won't even mention it, you know? And it's just like, oh, but I, I would kill for what a, what a strange, weird, strong hook that is. You know, yeah. So it, it, yeah. it's it's a really weird series, the the Kirby one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's full of ideas and full of great ideas and great concepts. And you know, you're just like, oh my god, this is spectacular! But it mm-hmm. really is. A, here's an idea. Here's another idea. Here's another idea. Here's another idea. Here's another idea. As opposed to like the Fourth Worlds, where he actually does build and shit. 
Yeah, he really does. He does. He builds on it in in you know almost symphonic manner. So yeah, it's it is one of those things where it, it you know I can see why everyone. One of the things I impre- was really impressed me about Didio and Giffen's Omac was the way that they decided to go at all the external OMAC stuff differently, but kind of almost keep the kernel of some of the weirdo undercurrents going to it and trying to, you know, hopefully develop more of that stuff. Yeah. You know, the fact that they made Brother Eye such an ambiguous character, you know, so far into this series is, I think, you know, kind of to their credit. Like, you're not really sure if you're supposed to be rooting for this character or not, because he's pretty openly happy about taking away a character's free will and enslaving him. Yes. So. Well, I, I think what's going to happen is that's not going to come to any form of resolution. And I no, think, I think, I think so they're either. going to purposely not do that in order yeah. to leave it open for... I actually did this in News Rama today. Uh, like, where are we going to see them again? Because Bob Harris has given interviews where he's like, oh, you're going to see all these characters in other books. Right. And I mean, outside of Frankenstein, I'm not sure where you can put Omak unless you put him in Justice League International. That's so funny. I was actually thinking he would end up in, yeah, maybe because of the Giffen ties, but some sort of Justice League. Book. Yeah, I was thinking that it might he might end up in Justice League International purely because of the Maxwell Lord tie. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the old version of Justice League International was very tied to Maxwell Lord as a character. And he seems to be the one that I can imagine showing up in different books more than I can imagine Omak. But I think mm-hmm. the, the new version of Maxwell Lord is so tied to Omak that you can't have mm-hmm. one without the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. Plus, as you pointed out, you know, they're really moving forward on some of the fourth world agenda on that last page of OMAC. And Justice League, I think, is the only book that's really currently similarly tying, touching on fourth world stuff, yes. right? Although, yes or no? Because mm-hmm. I am beginning to suspect that uh, there's been lots of stuff in other titles about the Demonites, the. Um, mm-hmm the old Wildstorm villains I'm right. wondering if the Demonites are the Parademons mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's the same thing right uh, in which case a lot of books are tying together right uh, right 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 although what I discovered after reading uh, god what was it this week that I read I'm looking at which 52 books I read this week um, Legion, <laughs> Legion Lost um, mm-hmm. Martian Manhunter is becoming the character that's popping up all over the place huh Martian Manhunter is in Stormwatch. He's a regular member of Stormwatch. In Stormwatch, they mention that he's a member of the Justice League. Mm. And he's also appeared in Green Lantern Corps and Legion Lost. Wow, that is a chunk right there. And it's like, of all the characters... (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but I I think in a way that also makes sense, too. You know, like, he's... Martian Manhunter's always been, like, a popular character who never quite seems capable of carrying his own title, (laughs) so... You know, and and he is, at least the old version of him is basically the very definition of a team player. So it seems really easy to kind of spread him around a, across a bunch of titles. Yeah, it's just, and also the version of them that they have in Stormwatch now, that makes mm-hmm. sense because Stormwatch is theoretically there to sort of investigate the weirdness and keep an eye on all the superheroes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's I don't know. I just find it a very interesting choice of like special guest star. Yeah, it is very odd. Well, there's some real odd choices that the DC is making. You know, I have to say, and this is kind of probably not sensible, but I do wish that everyone had gotten 
12 issues. Yes, I was actually thinking that before they announced the cancellations. Because mm. nothing had been cancelled yet. I was like, it'd be great yeah. if they make it 12 issues so everyone gets two collections. Yeah, you get two trades. It gives you enough time to see if you're going to be able to, you know, grow your readership, have it decline at the same rate that everything else is declining, or if it declines really fast, it gives you time to sort of maybe mix things up or get to where at the end of where you want to go. Well, that's what's kind of sad about cancelling Static Shock. Static Shock is Mm -hmm. dying on the second issue of Mark Bernardin's run. Right. His exciting new chapter, as they call it in this list, is for issue seven. Yeah. Last all of two issues two issues so I mean it's one of those things that you tell was weirdly it, it was a bad arbitrary you know hiccup it wasn't something that was was well planned or well oiled or again the, another comparison is Rob Liefeld taking over Hawk and Dove and Sterling Gates leaving it so that he can write it and it's like it doesn't look like they're going to get a lot of issues out no exactly that. that's three issues again yeah um, so but it, it's, it's I don't know it's very strange I part of me wonders if this is a sales thing or if it's uh, they wanted to launch six comics, six more series. I don't know. I find the whole thing very strange. Looking at the the release dates of the books, mm-hmm. it looks like they're canceling two books from each week. Mm, interesting, right? Uh, and they're, and they're not canceling the lowest selling series as well, which is mm-hmm. a strange thing. Because right, Omak right. is not the lowest selling book. Mm-hmm. I want to say mm-hmm. the Voodoo is outsold, uh, is undersold by Omak. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I I made a suggestion in uh, an email chain with Newsarama folk that um, mm-hmm. I think they're actually killing the series that have been the most trouble to keep going. Mm. Um, I mean, Mister Terrific has had has actually been relatively stable, so I think that one might just be killed because of sales. Yeah, because but Men sales. of War, Ivan Brandon left with issue six. Mm-hmm. Hawk and Duff, Stern Gates is gone. Right. Static Shock, they lost John Rosam with issue four. Mm-hmm. Blackhawks lost its artist after issue one. Right. So I, I think I think it might be a case of like these are these are really troublesome <laughs> books. And so I was like, Maybe. they're low selling well, and they're problematic. Let's get rid of these. Yeah, I, I think there's got to be a combination of the two because like Firestorm has had some some growing pains as well. Yeah, but Firestorm has remained fairly consistent. Yeah. So as long as that's that's the case. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it's a combination, and I sort of see it. I just still sort of kind of wish in a way that yeah, one year. Like you get a year, and it's like that gives gives everyone the time to to work things out. Yeah, it's it's a shame that it's it's happening with issue eight, which really does seem weirdly arbitrary. Mm-hmm. It it really does to me. I really kind of get the sense of like, okay, well, we want to bring these in, we want to factor that. I mean, in in theory, I don't I don't have. Yeah, I think it's like, well, we've got six issues that we want to bring in, you know, at once. And we can, you know, make them more of a mini wave if we clear the deadwood at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I just wish these waited a bit longer. Yeah, I think so too. I, I would have been much happier if they they'd figured out a way to cycle that in and out. Uh, yeah. So it's, and I'm sorry about Static Shock too. I mean, I'm sorry that it was troubled, but I remember. I think that's the other thing that's really weird is for people who were committed to committed to waiting for the trade like there's a whole bunch of these titles that are going to be gone before they even get a chance to check them out yeah exactly but but at the same time I think that I'm almost tempted to be like that's okay (laughs) do you know what I mean like I I, trade from the sense of the marketplace or you mean yeah mm -hmm. I I, I feel that 
I feel intrigued waiting is something that makes an awful lot of sense from a reading perspective, but I also completely understand why it does not make sense from a publishing perspective. Mm. No, totally agreed. And I see, I see like Hibbs's argument for it. On the other hand, part of me is like, if you cancel a book at issue eight, pretty much at, you're you're dooming your sales for your first trade to never to never go anywhere. You know what I mean? That's, like that's not necessarily true. I think Omicle sell fine in trade. Uh, I don't think so. I, I to me, I think I, I, will say, be a, I think Omicle sell as well as it ever would in trade. Maybe, maybe, but you don't know. But I, for me, I just see a bunch of retailers. I think quite rightfully saying that there's no reason for me to hand sell this OMAC trade because there's never going to be more than one of them. Well, I, I can definitely see that for Mr. Terrific, definitely. I think Mr. Terrific mm-hmm. is going to basically, I'm not even sure it's going to make it out as a collection. Yeah, I Perfectly sort of think honest, so too. Yeah, Because exactly. Mr. Terrific is, you remember my adoration of Mr. Terrific before it actually appeared and my mm-hmm. defense of it as it was coming out. <laughs> like, I, yes. I didn't buy this week's. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, really, I, I can't support it that much (laughs) like i i really 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 want to like this book but the truth is that i'm not really liking this book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and the problem is that it's not like there there will be no reason for this this trade to exist uh and unless the unless the characters will appear in other series to such a point where they'll be like and here's where the story began I i can't see any reason for these books to exist i mean men of war Mm-hmm. Blackhawks, I think there's going to be a real problem finding an audience for those. Hawk and Dove might sell in the Liefelds alone. I, maybe, but uh, yeah, but here's my thing. I honestly feel if you had one year, you know what I mean, the retailers would more or less have to order that first trade and and not know whether or not there's it, it, going to be yeah, a second trade. Just, just you old, know, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of this idea of like, well, maybe we'll give it a go. It also gives it a case for, um, I mean, it, it seems I know that obviously when they tried to open up the new Fifty Two to a, you know, a degree of different titles like I Vampire or you know Our Men at War or whatever, that the idea was to tr- probably to attract people people in the digital market rather than the trade market mm-hmm. but it does seem strange to me that if you're going to cancel some of the more oddball titles early enough that they don't have a chance to really make a go of it you know like it's possible that that something like our men at war blackhawks could theoretically somehow sell well uh, sell well enough in the book store market, Mm -hmm. you know, supposedly the way that other titles like, I don't know, Jonah Hex or whatever, supposedly were able to do such that you're able to, you know, that it's worthwhile to continue the series. But now you've got this super weight of you're just cutting their legs out from under it in the direct marketplace. And, and while I think it's smart, it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe it is better that none of these things get traded, you know? Um, Because in theory, all these issues are going to live on on the DC app for $1.99 forever, right? In, you know. in theory, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, at that point, you know, you can still come up with ways. Who knows? Maybe at that point you can drop them down to $0.99 cents and see if you get, you know, well, here, something here's the other thing. for it. Yeah. DC has created their 100-page spectacular format. Mm-hmm. Because all of these books are getting killed mm-hmm. at, at their eighth issue, you can collect the entire series in two issues of those. Right. Like so, that might even be a better way of reprinting that stuff. 
Yeah, it might. It, it will. It very might well be, especially for stuff that um, you know. As much as as much as I love OMAC and I think that it's fun, it's it's unless they turn in, in unless they really <laughs> turn the corner in the last few issues, it's fun in a very disposable way. Yeah, it's entirely you know throwaway. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I I kind of think that there are ways that they should figure out. You know, kind of. You know, maybe they should take some chances on trying to figure out how to sell this stuff in, you know, the digital market and, yeah, you know, do a 100-page collection sort of thing. Or even, like, a 100-page collection of them as, like, a true 100-page giant in the sense of you get four of the titles. That's They've actually just done this last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had The Edge. I think, no, it was The Dark. It was the four of The Dark books. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. As, as the first issues of them. Mm-hmm. Which again, it'll be interesting to see how that sells. Right? Is that is that announced for the newsstand? Then? No, it's, it's, direct it's it came out last week. Really? Yeah. Oh, see, I was totally not aware of it. Huh? Fascinating. So, would that be that's Justice League Dark, and then is it Animal Man Swamp Thing and something else? I, of, or is it? I'm gonna go check. Uh, yeah, please do, because I'm terrible at figuring out what the dark titles would be unless it's actually in the title. Let's see. Maybe it wasn't last week. What? Ah, oh, here it is. Because they're calling it DC Comics Presents the New 52 on their website. It's Animal Man, Just League Dark, I Vampire, and Swamp Thing. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Right. All right. Huh. And that, you said already came out? Came out last week. No shit. Huh. Interesting. I was not aware of it. I... I... I hope that works for them. I think that's actually a really clever idea. I, I We'll see how it goes, because I don't know how the sales are in those DC Comics Presents books. I don't think they're good, but it's a shame, because it's a great format. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. the, the mini trade for $8. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I think, although I, I would be happier if they shaved a buck off of that. Um, I'd be happier, honestly, if they shaved a couple. Like, if they, well, yeah. if they made it, like, 5 or $6, I think that would be unbeatable. See, that's it. Yeah, I think if it was like five ninety nine, considering its reprint material, you know, in in all cases, I I think that that would because it is it's still smaller than a trade. You can get trades. You can get trades for eight dollars. You can get, but you can get them for ten. Yeah, but the you trades know? you get for ten dollars are like four issues. Yeah, unless sure. unless it's like a you know a vertical launch and it's you know here's our specially priced ten dollar trade for six issues, the, right? The ten dollar trades are four issues, so you're you're actually still saving money. Still saving money, yeah. Huh? You're probably right. You're probably right. Huh? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I like I said, I I agree with you. I think at six bucks that would be unbeatable. Uh, but you know, I found myself splurging on. Gosh, how much did I spend? I only spent five dollars on this Wolverine comic, but of course, Leviathan Strikes. I spent, you know, however much it was. It was like six, I think. Was it? Yeah. D- did you get that, by the way? Did you <laughs> no, have I, a, I still hey. haven't. I still don't have a copy. Oh. To, to be fair, that's fine. It's because I've like other things have overtaken my my time and interest. Which I totally understand, but I, Grant, I, you got to take one for the team so we can talk about the it, the second half of it or not. I, I'll I'll do it one day. I really will. 
promise. I'll do it before the next volume starts. See, that's when we're going to discuss it. And then you'll be like, yeah, I found it really fascinating. You'll have one of those great points, and I'll be like, I forget, was that the one with um, the, the shark guy? You know. Here, here's the fascinating thing. So DC were like, we've cancelled these six books, except they weren't. They're like, we're launching these six books, and we've cancelled these six books. <laughs> but, yeah, um, exactly. But the six books they've launched, mm-hmm. two of them were previously announced as miniseries. Mm. Batman Incorporated was a 12-issue miniseries, and yeah. Earth 2 was announced as a 12-issue Justice League and Justice Society series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but are sense. still miniseries? Are they just assuming that like once you get to the end of the 12 issues, it'll get cancelled anyway, and that counts as an ongoing? Uh, are they thinking that Grant Morrison's going to continue with Batman Incorporated after Leviathan? Right. Yeah, I think some combination of all of those, frankly. I think that they're kind of like, you know what, let's announce it as a series, because who really knows? You know, why limit ourselves by saying that this is going to be, you know, miniseries when, you know, you would have to at least assume, uh, you know, in the case of something like Earth 2, that if it sold well enough, you would get James Robinson would gladly hang out to do more issues. Well, here's my completely cynical view. By not announcing it as a miniseries, they can cancel it early and no one will complain. Because remember the outcry when everyone was like, what if Shades... Mm -hmm. Remember when everyone was like, what if the Shades doesn't make it to issue 12? Mm -hmm. This way they could be like, oh, we've cancelled it issue 8 because no one bought it. Right, exactly. Exactly. Right, Or, or even like, yeah, if nobody's buying it, they're like, well, you know, there's no reason for us to, to pop 12 issues in there. You know, it does save them time. They're like, oh, well, you know, it ends... The way the story was always meant to end, with a cliffhanger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and a to-be-continued. And then, you know, honestly, I have to say that I thought that uh, I, I thought this little mini-wave of six did a pretty good job of kind of having that sort of something-for-everyone kind of feeling. Oh, I, you know I, I mean? I'm really pleasantly surprised that four of the six I'm interested in reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, wait. That's going to be... Oh, wait, I already know which one they are. They're probably the first four listed. Batman Incorporated, Earth 2, World's Finest, and Dial H. Yes. yes. I, I've got very little interest in GI Combat, although I'm really surprised that Ariel Olivetti is apparently back at DC. Um, and yeah. Ravagers. I, uh, I am almost stunned at how little interest I have in that one. Oh, see? This is the one. This was where I was like, I'm pretty sure it would be Dial H, but I could sort of see you being so interested in Ravagers because of how uninterested you were in it. You know what I mean? Like, like seeing you be back. like, I can't wait to read Ravagers because I can't imagine who that book's for. You know? No, 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 no. I, I, I suffered through that stupidity with Teen Titans. <laughs> this looks like a terrible book. Let's, let me read it. Oh. Hooray! Yes. <laughs> Uh, no, but uh, Dial H, I'm really curious about the writing. I am horrified after reading his interview in CBR. Oh, I, which I didn't read. He's like, I'm taking it seriously. The problem with the pores <laughs> has been too goofy, and it's like, oh, no. But I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. I yeah. guess. I just, I don't know. I just, with, with Dial H for Hero, I think if someone's like, it's, it's the problem with it is everyone's not taking it seriously as a concept. You kind of want to be like, it's a fucking magic dial that turns you into a superhero if you dial the word hero. Yeah, but that's why... Um, but I think that he's got a different take going on it. Because it's not dial H for hero, it's dial H. 
that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be Dial H for horror. No, it's not. He actually says that in an interview. Really? Oh, well, see, shows you what I know. Really? Wow, he's like, we're taking it seriously, and is it going to turn it? Also, again, it's that weird complaint that we had last week that I feel like other people misinterpreted it. It's like, didn't, doesn't he remember? Did he not read Will Pfeiffer's? No, he did. He says run? that. He says that in the interview as well. It's, it's I a thought... very, very odd <laughs> interview. Like, it's a very frustrating interview for pretty much all the reasons that we're talking about right now. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting book. But I, he's a he's a really interesting writer. So I'm very I'm hoping more than anything that he's just very bad at doing this sort of interview, and that it's going to be a really mm. good book. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm hoping that he's right. just like, I'll try and be teasing. <laughs> and it comes up with like, really? Really? Oh, God, really? Oh, it might be good. I mean, there is a there is a certain thing that if you don't if you don't have anything to say, say it outrageously. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, World's Finest and Earth 2, I'm a sucker for Earth 2. Oh, yeah. I am like the younger, less haired Roy Thomas. <laughs> Yeah, no, I once I saw it, I'm like, okay, it's going to be set on Earth 2, it's being written by Levitz, uh, and it's got Huntress. I, I was like, I just kind of saw you being all over this. It could be a car crash, though. Oh, it could be a shame. complete car crash. I remember how excited yeah. I was uh, when Levitz was going back to Legion, and I was like, this will be the greatest thing ever! And yeah. it was, at least the first series was 16 issues of a man being like, wait, how do I do this for a modern audience? And failing in public. You're right. Um, And, you know, I'm really, really nervous that this is going to be the same. That said, people love his Huntress series. Oh, the the recent mini that came out? Yeah, people are loving that. Uh, Oh, interesting. So, um, it's very funny that this spoils the Power Girl reveal from Mr. Shurfik. Mm -hmm. Uh, By going, hey, she's trapped on Earth 1, which a lot of people have pretty much said since the, the launch of the book, interestingly enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and it's funny that they just come out and say it in the, the pitch for the series. Hmm. I'm guessing that maybe that was a reveal that was going to happen in the we're not going to get to see it issues in Mr. Terrific. Yeah, probably. Um, and Earth... Interesting... Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. Go, because I think you've got plot things. No, I wasn't going to say plot things. I was just going to say Earth 2 by James Robinson, I think, is going to be the book that he really wants to write all along. I think that's... I, I honestly, I have to say, if there's one book in here that looks like it could be the breakout book, I, I'm thinking it's going to be Earth 2, honestly. Because Nicholas Scott is spectacular as an artist. And Robinson, when he's good, like this week's Shade, mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Robinson, when he's good, is really, really, really good. Hmm. I'll get back yeah. to this week's Shade later when we talk about this week. Exactly, when we talk about the issues. But yeah, I think that's going to be a breakout. I was going to say that I think World's Finest, what's interesting to me is I still... I have a theory that George Perez should not be in the marketplace, actually. I would not disagree. I actually, this week, um, digitally, bought the uh, last few issues of Superman. Because mm. I was like, you know, the first issue was a car crash. Right. Maybe it got better. Sure. Um, and and it, you can check out the second issue for two bucks. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I got the second and third issue. Mm-hmm. I also got the second and third issue of the Savage Hawkman because I was like, I'm going to go back to one I hated to see. Mm. Uh, and Captain Atom, which I thought was really interesting. Um, right. But yeah, Perez is another creator who has not aged well, mm-hmm. especially in his writing. 
I think his art still has a certain um, thrill. See, I don't think th- I don't think that's true. I mean, I used to think that was true, but I really think after the big old flop that was uh, his and Wade's Brave and the Bold, where we had there were a lot of people in the comments who were just like. I just I, the art's too busy for me. I think I honestly think that his style has a certain amount of appeal for a demo for a very small demographic that may well have left the marketplace in large numbers. Like I just don't think because again, Titans the game. I don't know if anyone. It's true. I, I, really? That sort of disappeared, didn't it? Yeah. So I mean, you're looking at a number of projects where Perez is was being pushed, you know, kind of to the forefront as artist, and they it, it did it did the opposite of performing. Well, no. So, but to be fair, I think Titans the Titans game thing disappeared not just because of Perez. I honestly think at this point the new Teen Titans as a, a brand, mm-hmm. especially the Wolf and Perez Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. Has no value in the current marketplace. Hmm. I, th- I think it's I think it's just too old. In in, in a way that like the Claremont X Men is not, because hmm. I feel that all of the X Men has come since that owes something to it, and by something yes. I mean everything. Right. Whereas Teen Titans does not, and really hasn't done for the longest time. Well, I think that's it. I do think that there is a, for better or for worse, you know, at some point, and I, I guess by some point, I probably mean James uh, Jeff Johns's reboot, kind of was able to have its own weird definition or personality that isn't isn't entirely Wolfman and Perez. And you think that at least people like me would think that it would be, but... I don't know. I think that, like I said, we were talking about we were talking about the new Teen Titans last week. Yeah. I thought that stuff held up surprisingly really well. Like you're like, well, it was disappointing compared to what it was supposed to be, but you know, because it really was posed as classic stuff. And what I think it is is it's a really solid B grade book. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And I think it's part of its problem is is that it's been it's it's not allowed to be a B grade book. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We kind of can't just allow that to be the case with it. But I do think that if if you're at all right um, with the idea of it having no value in the marketplace, I definitely think that George Perez's art style is close enough to that that his his work is just similarly devalued. Yeah, it's it's very possible because I'm trying to think – because, I mean, Perez was – at the time like everyone was like Byrne Perez Miller mm-hmm. and of those three Miller's the only one who really has any honest to God mm-hmm. name value and even that is you know here's this crazy guy right do you know what I mean like his name value is almost reverse name value whereas Byrne yeah. Byrne has pretty much become a non-entity exactly exactly and Byrne per- is Brett, a non-entity Perez is probably on the same yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't I don't think that everyone's quite aware of it. I don't think that it's quite sunk in, say at DC, but I think that I think that sadly is absolutely the case. So it'll be interesting. If there if honestly, if World's Finest if World's Finest launched with Kevin with Kevin Maguire doing the art, as opposed to Perez doing the art, I think it will be a very different reception in the market. It might do that. We don't know who's doing the first issue yet. Yeah, exactly. So if I were them, I would really have it set the other way around. If I were them, I'd have it launch with both. 
Oh, really? I'd, I'd split it. I'd do two stories. Uh, and then bring them together at the end? I'd just do two stories, and then, like, the next issue, wherever, Perez's art can start, or McGuire's art can start. But I would do the first issue with both artists in there. Right, to give them the sense, uh, to give you a visual continuity to it. Yeah. So that when one or the other takes over for an arc, it's not... Because let's face it, those two guys are not going to be, be mistaken for each other. Exactly. I mean, they're very, very different artists. Yeah, exactly. But in a weird way, they're both very dated artists. I think McGuire also has a mm-hmm. a devalued presence. Mm, interesting. Well, I mean, think of what McGuire's done since Justice League, since his breakout book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's yeah. not had another big project. No, no, no. And and even each time that he's come back to Justice League, it's been to slightly lower and lower returns. I think. Yeah. So. I mean, the true value of Justice League, oh, that. Year of Just League, I think. Mm-hmm. If everyone's honest, is Giffen and Tomatis. Now, are you talking like again? Because we're talking. I would say that those guys are pretty close to devalued in the marketplace as well. well frankly, I, I, yeah, I, but I, yeah. in terms of absolute value, yeah, I would think. Oh, so. I'm talking. Yeah, I no, I'm so. talking absolute value. Although I think you could make an argument for Giffen as a solid player, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You you could definitely make an argument for Giffen as a professional who will keep things running. And and Giffen Giffen still has a a reputation that I think Dematis and Maguire don't. Even if that reputation is, you know, he'll do the work on time, he's a bit fucking nuts. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think I think that's valuable, and because of Giffen, you have Omac. If that makes sense, no. If Omac absolutely. was exactly the same book in terms of writing, mm-hmm. but it had someone else doing the art, it would mm-hmm. not be a hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think well, I think Giffen actually does bring something. Okay, it would not be critically acclaimed. I was just going to say, part of me was like, well, if it was Omac with Ed McGinnis and and Dan DiDio, you know what I mean? I had that moment of like, meh. But no, I I totally agree with you, actually. I I would say that that although, um, yeah, although Giffen is not a star, he is a solid enough player. I I don't think that people have enough of a baseline reaction to his work the way that people might have a reaction to Perez and Maguire, yeah. which used to be something along the lines of, oh, I really like it, and B being like, I'm kind of, I don't, I'm kind of embarrassed by it. Okay, so here, here's a question, spinning off of something I wrote for Newsarama this week. Perez leaves DC, goes back to Marvel, Marvel puts him on Avengers. Do you think Perez could be made a name player again? That is a good question. I mean, honestly, I can't, I have such a difficult time telling what moves the dial at at Marvel, but I'm I'm going to say no, honestly. Because um, I, I am stunned that Marvel managed to make people excited that Neil Adams was drawing a comic. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because especially because Neil Adams had just finished six issues of Batman. Yeah, See, Batman. Every, everyone's yeah, like, yeah. eh. And then he goes over and does one issue of Avengers, and because Marvel plays it as a big deal... Mm-hmm. There's a certain level of fan base who are like, oh my god, you mean Neil Adams drawing the Avengers again? And, it's, but, and okay. it's the same when Simonson goes back to draw Avengers now. And sure. Marvel's like, holy shit, have you heard? We've got Walt Simonson. He's drawing the Avengers. And people are like, mm-hmm. this is a big deal. And 
I cannot be the only person. It's like you do know he's been working for DC continuously for the last decade, right? Right, right. Well, like all these people is... who think it's a return to form or a return to the medium. It's like he's been here. He's been here, damn it. Well, um, admittedly with Simonson, I think – I mean there's there, there's various hairs to split. I mean it's a different situation in each case. I am I am willing to believe that they can hype Perez coming back in a way that would have people go, oh, gee, it's a big deal. But do I think it's going to be a big deal in the way that moves sales? I don't. I mean, I don't even – I don't think that – I'm not sure if we're going to see a bump in the dial uh, when Simonson – you know, does Avengers. I don't even know, did they even see a bump when, when Adams did the point one issue? I, with, don't, I uh, don't think so, but you've got to... I don't think they did. Got to so, I mean, there was also a point one issue and those didn't do that well. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I, I can sort of see it for Adams because, of course, there, you know, if you can figure out what the unique circumstance is, you know, and definitely with Adams, it was the case of... He'd been in the marketplace for a while, but he drew so few Avengers comics compared to the amount, uh, you know, the amount of Marvel comics that he drew, which are still considered classics, as opposed to the number of DC books that he drew, which admittedly, you know, I don't know if he necessarily did that many more, but it had a lot longer exposure in the marketplace, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, thanks to the miracle of reprints and things. So I just, I kind of don't think... So I think there is hype, but whether that hype actually ends up moving the dial, I would say no. I would say that they they could take and, you know, and admittedly that's the, I think, the relatively exhausted state of Marvel, you know, is that they could have, you know, Peter Parker having sex with Aunt May and they won't be able to, to move the dial more than a couple of... Well, they, they are releasing copies. trouble in a collected edition, so there is that. <laughs> Talking of that... Yeah, but that again, that has everything to do with the fact that that, that Miller can move, you know, fifty, sixty thousand of kick ass. You know, it was kind of crazy. Um, Tom Brevor and his farm spring admitted that trouble when it started was going to be an official retcon of Spider-Man continuity. Ah. And by the time it finished, like, why he said something like wiser heads had prevailed. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. The, the plan was for however long that Aunt May mm-hmm. was going to be Spider-Man's mother. Yeah. Yeah, which really is I don't know, you know, it's it's <sighs> there have been worse ideas, um, but there have been very few of them executed more poorly than trouble. So let's put it that way. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, like that's one of those ideas that I think is unnecessary, but I could see an extent of it would be a, a fun way to sort of fuck with people. No, not even fuck with them. Just sort of, just sort of narrow the scope of it. You know, add add some little extra layer of behind the scenes poignancy to to get bring something new to the Peter Parker Aunt May relationship, even if it's a relationship that it's something that the readers know. But yeah, trouble. But and again, I can see Miller being like this brilliant guy of like thinking like, oh, I'm I'm going to bring back the romance comic, and the way I'm going to do it is by tying it into Marvel continuity, so that by the time the last issue comes out, people are going to be like, oh my fucking god, I've got to buy this trade, and then they'll be calling me, going, Mark, Mark, you're so great, and I'll be like, I know, I know, let's go make movies, and they'll be like, yes, you know, like I can see that playing out in his brain, sort of like one of Homer Simpson's unending reveries, where he just sort of. Sits 
sits there drooling for like 10 minutes. But, uh, yeah, clearly... Oh, God, Trouble was so bad. You have read it, right? Oh, yes. I, I, it's oh. one of those things that you read and then you're like, I wish I hadn't. I, I, <laughs> I really wish I had not read this comic. This comic is going to stay in my brain now. <laughs> it has. It has stayed in my brain because it's one of those things that... Um, I love it because I love Trouble because it is this fantastic admission of um, how damaged Mark Miller is. <laughs> you know, to me, it really is one of those like grand moments. Like, because it's always like a um, well. This is going to be a, a, a comparison that, as always, will reflect poorly on. I was going to say, is this one of the moments where you admit how troubled you are? Yeah, probably. It always reminds me of when porn stars try and act like the regular people, and they try telling regular people jokes, and they're inevitably something kind of terrifying and filthy and humiliating and degrading, and they don't even know, and they kind of assume that that's the way that people talk in real life all the time. You know? Do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? I really I mean, don't, but I, I love it. I'm going to have a difficult time trying to nail down exactly what I mean. Wait, so, I don't have what, a concrete What you're example. trying to say is, it's like someone who is not part of quote-unquote mainstream society doing what they think part of mainstream society is like, but it is so off that it it draws it only draws attention to how off they are. Yes. Okay. And I, you do I, have to... I understood your point. It was just yes. that particular example. It was like what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as it as it frequently is. But but that's. I'm hoping the reason why you were able to get it is because there is that element of it in trouble. Where well, to be it's fair, like... there's that element of of that in so much of Mark Miller's writing, especially of that era. Like Mark Miller at Marvel, especially his early stuff at Marvel, is full of Mark Miller's idea of America, which is so insanely not just off, but off in a way that you believe that he has possibly never been to America, but he did watch Happy Days a lot. <laughs> and maybe Porky's. Happy Days and Porky's. Um But that that's, yeah, that was that's what it's really like. Because everyone mm-hmm. talks in like everyone talks in catchphrases or completely unconvincing dialogue that you think someone wants there to be a laugh track after. Right. I mean, remember what everyone in a Mark Miller comic called every woman's sweetheart at some point? <laughs> everyone. Didn't matter who it was. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I mean, I, and I, uh, you know, the thing that's interesting to me is I felt like for most of his stuff, his early Marvel work, well, do I feel that way? Because I do have to admit that I I thought that his twelve issue run on Spider Man was kind of a, a bed shitting nightmare as well. I, I to be fair, I haven't read that. I read maybe really? the first three issues. And now, now that it's out as a collected edition, I'm going to get it from the library. Cause a, I'm not going to pay money for it because it's hideously overpriced. Uh, and B, I can possibly get it for free. Um, but yeah, I want to read it. Mm-hmm. If I remember when it launched, he was like, this isn't taking part in place in current continuity. It's taking place a year from now. And then, like, two months later, Ben's is like, oh, yeah, I've just disassembled the Avengers, so your story can't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ben just gave an interview. I can't remember if it was a word balloon or not, but he gave an interview where they were like, yeah, so what happened with that? Because Mark was like, you know, it's, it's going to take place in the future. And Ben just essentially said, he's making shit up. He just didn't want to write in continuity. Right. 
Right. Yeah, which which makes sense. I mean, it does. It everything about it. I mean, the thing that's fascinating about it is is that um well, for one thing, I honestly remember remember very little of it. I mean, I un, unlike Trouble where I was like, "Oh, holy god." You know, because I I think Trouble was like, "Oh, I see where there's I see everything that he's trying to do and again, the distance from it." Uh, is so weird it reflects weirdly on him like with Spider-Man it was just like oh he's sort of trying to do a Spider-Man comic and he's doing it very poorly and I remember him at the end having a little afterward where he's like yeah when I was a kid they gave me Jerry Conway's Spider-Man comics and they were the most fucked up books ever and this is a tribute to that and I'm like huh if you publish that in the first issue I probably could have gone with you a little further down this lane Yeah, but it's looking back on it I would like to reread it now because honestly it reminds me more often than not of 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 who Miller is now in so many ways. All, all I <clears throat> sorry, and you go. No, no, no. I think that I, the really just about that's about it. You know? all, all I really remember is the few issues I read of the Spider-Man comic. It was mm-hmm. the first place I realized Mark Miller dialogue math. Because mm-hmm. there's a caption, a piece of dialogue that um, Mary Jane has where she's meant to be upset mm-hmm. and she starts off with Peter blah 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 and then she goes Jesus Tiger blah 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 and I was like no you start off calling him Tiger and then you say Jesus Peter that's the only mm-hmm. way that would sound convincing you flipped around You're, you got your math wrong right and after right. that I like that was when I was like oh I shit I understand how Mark Miller writes dialogue now yeah I understand I th- what he does I think that, interestingly enough the Dotsons are a bad aren't are not a good artist for him, interestingly enough. Which is I, odd, because he's got enough other guys. What's that? Yeah, but the Dodsons are weirdly not good for anyone. <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to come to that conclusion. No, I think you're absolutely right, no, actually. I think their art is attractive, but then every single time I read one of their comics, I'm like, it's not working. It's not working, and interestingly enough, there's something about it where something in their art always manages to point out how badly the dialogue doesn't work. Yes, and because I, their characters can't act. That's the thing. And I think that's it. I think that's it is, literally the, it. The their characters Dod- can't act. The Dodsons are Adam Hughes without the, the acting ability. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or a slightly more attractive Frank Cho, depending on where you want to fall in the cheesecake officer. Yeah, free, or, or um, right, or uh, an even more dynamically inert J. Scott Campbell, I guess. Yes. You know? No, no, but, but the Dodsons... Their characters cannot act. They have like yeah, they, maybe three facial expressions, and it's hilarious. Yeah. They, I feel like the Dodsons got a free pass on their X Men because they were paired with Greg Land. Mm-hmm. But in a really weird way, I think Greg Land's characters can act better than Dodsons can. Hmm. And I, you know, I kind of hate myself hmm. for saying that. <laughs> but it's a tough call. I can see it. It's one of those classic like race for who gets last place and who gets next to last place I think but I I would be tempted to give it to you let's just say that I'm really am very well aware that someone who pointed out that you know Hitch brings a lot more to Miller's scripts than than you know I was aware of uh it makes a lot of sense to me when compared to someone like the Dotsons is that you can at least get a certain degree at least in that first batch of things of, of acting from Hitch that seemed to, to work, you know, better than Land, better than the Dotsons, and still have a certain amount of um, 
attractiveness to it, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, no, the Datsuns really don't do anyone any favors. And it's so weird because you look at their art, it's like in pinups or whatever, and you're like, that's great. That works. Yeah. And then you see them do sequential and you're like, it's not working. It's And it's interesting because unlike a bunch of other people who excel at the pinups and then sort of suck at the comics it's not their it's not their narrative flow it's really the acting i think it's really the acting because anything that comes out of the character's mouths it just sounds goddamn hideous and fake you know every single time so yeah i don't know yeah kind of interesting anyway i would love to dig up those spider-man books because i just remember hating them and it'd be really curious to see Interestingly enough, it was it's very much the the Miller of Wanted doing a Spider-Man book and kind of failing. Um, so take it what take it with what you will. I'll be curious to see uh, that much. I remember from the book, so I'll be curious to see what you think of it when you get to it. Dead silence. Graham. Oh my God! Did we get cut off? That would be the worst. No, I'm back. <sighs> <laughs> Son of a bitch! I'm like, what, what, do, what do, happened? Do, do you know what happened? What happened? I was drinking some water and I forgot to take it off mute. <laughs> Secrets of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I was just talking. I was like, no, I think if you see this, and then you're like, dead silence. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what the... You know, the interesting thing is, is I have to start using this mute button, too. I'm always, like, moving this little headset. Well, I, apparently you shouldn't, face. because if you use the mute button, sometimes you, you forget to take it off. forget. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and then you panic the person <laughs> on the other end of the call. I totally was. I was like, hello, hello, <laughs> Jesus. I oh, killed him. man. Okay, so, right, I, so I'm going to move yes. on to topic two. Please do. Uh, is this the, at, the beat? beat yeah, the beat. Blower? So, at the beat... Okay. Todd Allen follows up in a publisher's weekly story that Hims has actually quoted in about the shitty ability of Marvel Comics to keep their collections in print. Yes. He then follows this up by basically going like, if you look down the top 100, top, I think it was top 500 collections of 2011 from Diamond, Mm -hmm. like Marvel's first comes in at number 49 on the chart and it's kick-ass. Yeah, I was about to say, it's Miller at 49, and 64 yeah. or something. Right? But if you yeah. read the comments, Charles Vess appears. And here's Charles Vess's comment, and this will blow your mind. It would be nice if they actually paid creators whose work they're reprinting. A year after their Warriors 3 collection, which featured a cover and over 100 pages of my work, I received one comp copy and no word of any sort of reprint or royalty fee. Of course, it might not have sold very well, now I see that they are cobbling together three or four Spider-Man graphic novels into one enormous, hideously produced hardcover. My long-ago graphic novel, Spirits of the Earth, which I wrote, drew, and painted, is one of them. We'll see what they do about that one. In contrast, DC provides 25 com copies and a royalty check sent every four months. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I honestly saw that and I could not believe it. Like, I think the worst of Marvel I do I think Marvel's business practices are appalling I still had to like I was stunned that Marvel would not like pay Charles Vess for over 100 pages of reprinted work yeah that I, I cannot get my head around that I really can't yeah well um seriously yeah, but... you, you can't you're, you're not even vaguely appalled that they're not giving him a royalty check for it? 
I'm not surprised. Graham, I've been making appalled noises at Marvel forever. That doesn't surprise me. Somehow still surprises me. But you, so you really thought these people were getting paid? Like, it was like, I mean, I, I, I put I a quote on a year. Yes. I thought they would get at least one royalty check. I thought the royalty yeah. check might be for shit, but I thought mm-hmm. they'd get something within a year. Yeah. I, I, I was definitely get the, getting the impression that, that there was very little. I, I, and I could be wrong. I, I guess it's true if I, like, sat down and looked at it and I'd be like, holy crap, like, you know, because I I'm not as familiar with when Vest produced that work, but yeah no I kind of I'm I'm not really sure who's getting paid. I mean apart from Ike Perlmutter on this stuff, it's, I really honestly the creator that. the current creators have to be getting paid. Do they? According why? Because they're not saying anything. I'm no yes, but also more because I I'm fairly convinced that at some point Marvel will have changed the contract so it pays you for it factors in quote unquote the first at least the first reprint collection I don't know I mean the closest we can see is like I mean the closest thing we have to any sort of modern contract is I think what Shooter reprinted right like didn't Shooter talk yeah. about when he was thinking about yeah, him, but the, and he was but, getting but that, paid something like but that had know, reprints uh, in it that had reprints factored in it, ha- it might have had uh, it, I think it had it did have reprints but it was something like one payment Maybe, like you said, it was kind of like what you were sort of expecting Vest to get one payment. Yeah, no, that that's what surprises me. Like, I'm not surprised that Marvel is not treating Charles Vest fairly. I'm surprised that within a year he has had nothing. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I I uh, personally, my my thing is is I would expect that yeah, the guys who are doing regular work get the regular checks, and the people who aren't doing the regular work. Have to have to chase chase the check down on their own. Yeah, I I, I, I'm just that. I really I saw that and was just appalled. I yeah, re- good I, for Charles Vest for for pointing it out. I mean, and, and thank you for mentioning it. It is kind of fucking appalling. I hope that more people like jump from that and keep keep going. I I, re- I really was just like what what. <laughs> um, along some lines, did you see Bleeding Cool the Ariel Olivetti interview about um, Iron Man 2.0? Yes. Yeah, that was one that I did happen to click on, and wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty damning. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Do you have it open so you can read it for the listeners, or should? Uh, yes. Well, everyone loves your your voice. <laughs> Let me. I'm like, come on. Plus, okay. I don't know so how to read. So basically, Aaron Olivetti is giving this interview to uh, a magazine, and this is before he had left Marvel, because he said he still had yeah. two years left on his exclusive interview. But this is quite clearly the greatest. I don't want to work for you anymore. I'm going to do something so that you fire me. He said in the interview that it was lucky that Iron Man 2.0 had finished because the scripts were awful. At first it worked well with that other story Marvel was publishing, but later it went to hell. They invented an arch villain that made no sense. The scripts were backwards. The writers married in the middle. Leaving everybody stuck, they put a replacement writer who was worse. The editor kicked the replacement writer off and he wrote the scripts. A disaster that thankfully ended. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that like... Uh, interestingly enough, I think he was like, I'm talking to an Argentine magazine. It's going to be in Spanish and nobody reads it. Yeah, I know. You know? Hi, hi, internet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But also, Although, the thing, yeah. thing about the, the late pages for the second last issue was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I could yeah, draw 10 pages and nothing more because the script never came. So I had a week to deliver the, the rest and the script was not finished yet. And in the final issue, I drew five pages, nothing more. I got the script and they said, how many pages can you do for next Friday? And we had five days, five pages. Because I called her directly, how would, how would you do it? It's impossible. So I called in other guys and you will see for yourself. The last issues of Iron Man 2.0 are a disaster. There's one woman who's blonde, then in the other frame, it's brunette. It is impossible that in a week all the artists could agree and say, man, that blouse you have to draw is red, and the girl who was drinking tea, I did drinking beer. Yeah. 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 Also, the the fantastic money quote about this is, um, McDonald's is also great, and the burgers are disgusting. At one time, Marvel worked like a little clock, but it melted down two or three years ago, and in the middle of this, they fired about 15 staff, so it was a mess. I'm like, that's... You know, God bless him for f- saying it out loud. Seriously, I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, naturally all this stuff happens the week that I go and actually buy a couple of extra Marvel books. Like, <laughs> did you buy both for your next man? I did. I did, actually. So we could read it and talk about it. I tried to take advantage of, because I, I, uh, I bought a comic digitally so I could get the $5 off certificate and then uh, was like, ah, eh, what the hell? I'll put it towards the X-Men stuff. And, can and I did. just say, the um, Rich Johnson's Here's How to Punish Marvel for Supporting Sopa, buy a comic digitally and then use their coupon, was the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. Isn't that great? Here's how to, like so, here's how to punish them. Do you see the promotion? Use it. Yeah. They'll never it's... see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> that was I know. the greatest... I mean, there are many times that I've thought that Rich has a lot of friends at Marvel that he's trying to do favors for. Yes, but that was like the biggest. Yeah, that really was. There, this there are a few things terrible. Because, yeah. So let's mm-hmm. reward them for it. I mean, punish. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> let's punish him by giving them money and making this program a success, so they have contacts to you forever. Hooray! Yeah, no, I thought that was hilarious. That was one of the things where I, I, I just utterly agog that he uh, had was trying to put that forward. Um, but then, of course, then he gets to run and do something like this. Although I thought it was fascinating that he did have the, you know, Marvel representative actually a Marvel source asked me to note that some of what Ariel said was untrue and speculation on his part as to the inner workings of editorial of the company and that Marvel editors do not write scripts which is not true you know I mean that is just it may not be the case in this particular case but um, there there have definitely been stories floating around for a while that editors will sit down and, and just flat out write stuff sure if not you will never ever 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 get anyone at Marvel admitting that Oh yeah, absolutely not. Not 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 in ten million years. Because that is that's a that is a dirty little secret in the business that that goes on and still goes on, you know, for a variety of reasons. So, yeah, it's yeah. I think I I think I'm going to have to trim down my Marvel budget, make some adjustments, like stop buying Wolverine. Maybe I can buy you know Wolverine and the X Men. I'm losing Punisher Max lose one or two other things and then just I don't know because actually a, um, a commenter uh, made a really good point sort of of like you know yeah Marvel's hideous on the other hand shouldn't we support good books such as Wolverine and the X-Men which kind of I was like eh. well, I'm like I'm kind of at that stage of I don't know frankly well, here's the thing because I 
I understand the urge to boycott, but at the same time, Wolverine the X-Men is just a genuinely good book, and it has a lot of qualities that I would like to reward. Does right. that make sense? Which is, I think, yeah, which I think is what the, the reader commenter said as well. And I'm so sorry that I'm being so vague. Because I want to say it was Ben Lipman, but I don't know and I can't hunt it up quick enough. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, and so I am kind of caught in it. In fact, the other day I was like, well, I heard good things. I'll pick up these four issues. I'm getting a chunk of it at a discount. It's going to, you know, as close as I'm going to get to my hands being clean anyway. But so, yeah, you do want to reward what? that stuff. But you're also like, again, there's this thing of like, I don't know. I don't feel really comfortable with the idea that Charles Vess is not getting paid and well, for getting paid. Yeah, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm stunned about that. Um, I know also, like, it brings to mind the Jim Serenko thing. Remember where Marvel basically reprinted his, like, oh, yeah. a, an Italian edition, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What happened was they had their, their stuff reprinted through Panini and then shipped in or... I don't want, it probably wasn't Panini. <laughs> no, I think it was. It, I actually think it was it, Panini. Cause... Oh, okay, okay. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, God, I've reached a new stage of senility. I'm actually using the word for sandwich for the name of the publisher. And I'm like, no, I think it was Panini, though. So, nope. uh, yeah, I think they it, did. It's the European um, publisher for Marvel. In fact, Panini yeah. might even own Marvel UK. Yeah, oh, I think you're right. I think you're right, because that was something that was coming up in some bizarro, weird way. Um because of the possible Panini conflict if, like, especially in Italy, if Disney decides to start publishing the Marvel characters through their book, through their comics companies over there, right? Yes. Isn't that, isn't that yeah. how it worked? Yeah. But, um, so. it, I, I don't know, Marvel, I don't know, I, I just, I completely understand the boycott idea. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm never I'm never sure how I actually feel about boycotts though. Well, you know I, I mean, will like, say one thing uh, uh, the, and I'll get back to your point which is like it's not going to do anyone any good if I don't let them know that I'm doing it. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. So that and I think that's the stage that I've been super reluctant to is like stepping forward and saying, "Hey, I'm not buying your books and here's why." But you um, uh, how would you plan to do that cuz you've been saying that in this podcast. So I mean, what is, what is your more vocal or noticeable way of doing that are you just going to like send a letter to Marvel yeah I guess so I guess that would be the way do it that old fashioned way like do it that way and then I don't know put 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 a statement up on a website probably not the Savage Critics website because it would confuse everything but yeah I mean uh, something more uh, something a little more easy to find than something that's buried inside a podcast you know what I mean which is perfectly great. I, I, don't get me wrong. It's a way of being out there, but it's not exactly Google searchable unless I mention it in, in my description. You know, Put I mean? it on Google+. Plus. That's no Googly searchable. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> it, it, hmm, I wonder why I haven't done that, actually. All right. Well, anyway, in any event. But yes. it's, I, um, uh, I don't know. I, I always come back to the... You know, you're boycotting the publisher, but you're also boycotting the creators, if that makes sense. Yes, no, I definitely I definitely understand that and it's frustra- it's frustrating on the other hand A things aren't going to change and B in theory those creators uh, the marketplace is screwed up but the creators can make work for themselves. You know, Marvel for whatever you say about it, it can never create the it can't auto generate these books yet. I mean, it could probably reprint everything into into oblivion, but mm-hmm. 
but they literally cannot. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I would be I would be much happier if you were actually seeing support from the creative people for each other there because I think that goes a long way I really do think that the guys at the top have a lot more clout than the guys at the bottom and can make sure you know could go a step farther toward making sure that everyone gets paid but if not you know really all Marvel's got going for it is this maniacal drive for sales you know and Mm -hmm. it's at the and you really are at a stage where it's like yeah I you know there there is work that there Marvel is doing some of its best work I would say in like three or four years you know there's never been a worse time I think to to try and boycott when you've got stuff like Daredevil coming out or Wolverine and the X-Men or you know three or four other titles in there that I'm not even thinking of um you know, but I am start really starting to be like I can't. You can't have it both ways, though. You can't turn around and be like, "Oh my God, do you see what they're doing to Charles Vest? That's crazy!" Now I'm going to go out and buy six Marvel titles. You know, like I'm kind of like, you know, because you're just you're just feeding that beast. No, I know, you know? I know, you're right. So I mean, and that and that's the part that's problematic for me is is like you know it's like I see the thing from Charles Vess and and maybe you know the re- the sensible reaction is to do what we a lot of us have been doing which is feel incredibly guilty and then very silently read our Marvel comics over and over again I don't know <laughs> is that the sensible reaction I'm not sure I think that's maybe a common reaction I'm not sure. <laughs> exactly. I think you go common and sensible completely mixed up there for I, I think you're absolutely right I think you're right so uh, yeah oh man actually now that I think about it I had a huge number of Marvel comics yesterday that I purchased oh that's the other thing I guess I'm going to be jumping off God, am I going to jump off Secret Avengers? I probably should, but now that Rick Remender's on it, I don't know. Fuck. Anyway, no let's talk about some of the comics that you bought. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. So tell me, please, tell me, do Graham, what what else did you get? Or or are you ready to to? Are is there a more comics news? Uh, is there we more comics news? I don't show me to be an utterly duplicitous bastard. No, I, I don't think so. I think we should concentrate on your duplicity. I I, like, <laughs> I, I am buying Marvel comics. I'm not boycotting them at all. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, so why are you the duplicitous one? You you have more morals than I do. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm talking about boycotting them, and I just came back from the store of like, yeah, of course, I bought nine of them yesterday. So, you know. What did I buy? I bought two Marvel comics yesterday oh, on, a, on a trade. I bought two Marvel comics on a trade yesterday. Okay. Well, what what were your two Marvel comics? I Oh, no, no, wait. One of them must have been Wolverine and the X-Men number four. Yes. That hit the stance. Uh, other one was uh, you're not reading Journey into Mystery, otherwise I would guess Journey into Mystery. No, I'm going to wait for the collection of that, which is really soon, right? If not, it's not already come out. Yeah, I, I uh, it is really soon. It might, it's probably this month. Okay, I think. Yeah, it's 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 really it's right around the corner now, and I'm really looking forward to it because everyone talks about it is like this is the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the other one yeah. to be out of your misery is the Amazing Spider-Man because it's the first part of the Daredevil story. Oh, right. Right, right, right. You know, it's so funny. I even retweeted Wade's, you know, thing on it. I totally didn't grok until after the fact that it was in Spider-Man and it concludes in Daredevil. So how was the first It's very good. Yeah? It's very good. Um, Wade could could write Spider-Man as far as I'm concerned from now on, and I would be a happy, happy man. I I would actually... (laughs) 
you know, crazy revolutionary talk aside, if Wade was on Spider-Man, I, I would buy it, yeah. Uh, I especially like the Spider-Man is incredibly bad at trying to have a one-night stand with Black Cat who turns him down. I don't know why I found that so amusing, but I really, really did. Especially because she says that he seeks, he seeks I'll try it again, reeks of desperation and acts. <laughs> funny it's a great line um yeah it's it's very good and i'm looking forward to the second part it's not it's actually really interesting in terms of tone because it's not the amazing spider-man tone that we've had recently and it's not mm-hmm. the daredevil tone but it works for both characters hmm. interesting so and uh, yeah i like did the art on it uh, emma rios did the art oh i see who recently and... did um the osborne series oh and and the um cloak and dagger the recent Cloak and Dagger series she did that too hmm I didn't look at the Cloak and Dagger one the Osborne stuff struck me as about as far from the Marcos Martin Paulo Rivera neck of the woods as you can get it's not incredibly close to either although that's not true I can there's there's some surface similarities hmm interesting um but it's not it's busier and it's not as as clear mm-hmm mm-hmm but it's a good book. It's a good. It's a good start to this crossover. I, I always wonder, like, what the point of crossovers are when it involves doing a complete fill-in on one of the books. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, is that really a crossover, or is that just you wanted to give Dan Slott a break for an issue? Right. You know? Well, but I, I, but I it's, think it's it kind good. of works. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a good Spider-Man story, and I'm sure everyone who reads Spider-Man is not going to be complaining about it. So. Sure. Well, yeah, and I I would think based on the sales that it's also kind of an idea of like, hey, how many how many Spider-Man people can we get to pick up Daredevil? Well, bear in mind that Daredevil launched outselling Spider-Man. Yeah, but quickly dropped below it, right? Possibly. I don't know. It's it's cuz um immediately after that Spider-Man went into Spider-Island. So Right. So like I so assume who, who that knows? Spider-Man yeah, Who like knows what the real numbers are, in, you know? in the 50s, 60s, and, and Daredevil's down in the low 30s, high 20s now, isn't is it? Is it? Oh, that's a... That's I, a, that's oh. a I, I, you know, let's... Is there a quick way that we can jump to yeah, the sales I, I, stuff? Yeah, I'm looking beat? at them right now. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, da, 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 fear itself. Da, okay, Amazing Spider-Man sold 57,723. Mm-hmm. And Daredevil isn't showing up yet, which is a bad sign. <laughs> um, have I overlooked Daredevil, or is it really getting outsold? Oh, they have. That's horrible. Thirty-eight thousand. Oh, thirty-eight thousand. Thirty-eight thousand three hundred two, which is not horrific, but the fact that it's you know twenty thousand below Spider-Man makes me kind of sad, considering it did launch so high. Yeah, it it launched at sixty, almost sixty five thousand copies. So, yeah, I mean, it's it 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 is one of those things where I, I'm glad that I'm off. You know, that it's actually much higher. But I can see where there's an idea of like, well, we've got people post Spider Island numbers. Let's see if we can if we can move like two thousand, four thousand of those into picking up the the rest of the Daredevil crossover and sticking with it. You know, that would be pretty pretty worthwhile for them to do you know so i don't know i i that's my thinking but 
you know, I was off by a little bit. And now we can talk about Wolverine and the X-Men number four. Which I loved. I just outright loved. I, I loved yeah. everything about it. I thought it was everything I liked about the first three issues and more so. This book has such yeah. heart and it's mm-hmm. everything I liked about Claremont's run mm-hmm. updated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also yeah. the most successful X-Men in school story, if that makes sense. Like, it's, you know, they've been trying this forever. New Mutants came back, Young X-Men, New X-Men, all of those books. And this gets to work. I'm interested in the students in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just no. thought it was spectacular. And I, I, I realized that I loved it a lot when I finished it and realized that it was a three ninety nine book that I didn't feel gypped by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I totally understand what you're saying. I, I picked up all four issues at a go and read through them, and it was interesting to me. I was like, huh, I wonder what Graham's reaction is going to be, because the fourth one seemed so much stronger and better to me, but admittedly, I'm not a huge fan of current-day Bacalo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, although I, I actually liked it fine on the first three issues, but having um, Nick Bradshaw do just some amazing, like... You know, phase two Art Adams work on it was yeah. just and, you know, and weirdly cute art, if that makes sense. Like, there's yeah. something very cartoonish about it, which mm-hmm. really worked in its favor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. It it was, it was it was kind of a sweet spot. Like, I don't know if the, if he can do this level caliber of work every issue, but if he can, um, they should they should put him on something. If not he's, necessarily, he's, he's the regular rotating in this. Oh, is he? He's on okay. the next three issues. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, the first the first three issues of of Wolverine and the X Men, I loved a lot. I will be curious how the market takes it. You know, because it is like you said, it's got a ton of heart. It also seems a lot warmer. And less grim, I think. Yeah, it's than fun. the other X Men books on there. Yeah, it's a it, fun X Men title, and I, 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 part of me is really like, I think a lot of people, the people who have been clamoring for that on the internet, are going to love it. I have a sneaking suspicion, in a way, that it's not going to, it that that make work against it. I, I will, I will genuinely be heartbroken if this just collapses in sales. Right, I really will. <laughs> I will be mm-hmm. so so sad if this just plummets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean it. It it might not. It might not. I mean, I've been sort of saying like because I picked up first off. I also picked up uh, Wolverine three hundred, which uh, by Jason Aaron, and was really pretty terrible. Uh, I thought. I mean, I know some people who actually really liked it. Matt, who works at Comics Experience, thought that it was a good fun issue, but I thought it was kind of a and it really had uh, what's what's the word? It, it it continues sort of the tradition of fun, goofy Wolverine that that Aaron keeps coming back to. And I'm like, I don't really don't think the readers want fun, goofy Wolverine. So I think it's good that he'll be leaving it. But having said all that, like in out loud, I really it did make me wonder. Well, does that mean that Wolverine and the X Men is going to similarly fail under my theory or falter, I guess we'll have to see. You know? Wow, you're depressing. 
I know. I'm kind of I'm kind of a jerk that way. And you're, you're really, a bummer. I could, yeah, I am. I am definitely a bummer. And I could be wrong because between issue five and issue nineteen of Wolverine, um, and that's is that only? I want to say I'm like that's not even a year. Interestingly <laughs> enough, yeah, well, it, it's not. It's fourteen no. issues. I mean, they've done yeah. fourteen issues within a year. Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. The, the according to to the sales chart, issue five is for um, January of two thousand eleven, and issue nineteen is for November of two thousand eleven. Wow! So, not you know, it's fourteen issues in in less than a year. That's kind of amazing. Yeah, they they shipped the point one issue and issue six in February. They issue. Issue seven in March, issue eight in April. They double shipped in June, August, September, and September. So yeah, they ended up doing way more. You know, throwing in our three or so issues. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? That is that is so. kind of insane. Anyway, I'm not. I, so I, even though I've I've dug Aaron uh, Aaron's work on Wolverine and even the whimsical stuff. Um, it's still not as strong as as the Wolverine and X Men stuff, so I kind of really hope that that he manages to hang in there because it really was a, a good book. I really appreciated you, you and others continuing to sing its praises. So that I here, here's a question: Now that you've read the first four issues, do you see what I was saying about Aaron being the closest thing we've got to Steve Garber? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, you don't agree, but you see why I said it. I see why you said it, and it's not so much that I don't agree with it. I think it probably is just I have I'm having trouble wrapping my brain around the comparison in a way, just because the stuff that I think of with um, the stuff I think of with Gerber, like I know what you're talking about in terms of the heart and the humanity angle of it, but Gerber's stuff always plays out at, to, in my brain at a more almost leisurely level you know even even when he's telling super compact stuff because one of the things that did impress me with the first three issues of Wolverine and the X-Men were how much how many scenes were in it you know what I mean like there's there's a lot of characters there's a lot of storylines going on it's just it's kind of plotted like a motherfucker you know that yeah. just the hook of the first issue where they're showing them around the school and everything's going wrong but the way they keep building to the number of scenes and the number of things that are happening it's an inc- you know it is not a it's not a typical slackerish first issue so you know in that sense maybe like I was trying to figure out what it did remind me of and it seemed almost kind of unique in that regard mm-hmm. you know because I, I can't think of anyone else that really when the last time I remember somebody really hustling that hard to to, to get so many beats in um, which is interesting because actually you know that first you know that first storyline is pretty much over in three issues instead of six um, and it covers a lot of ground uh, it also doesn't feel it, but again it didn't feel especially threatening there was that element of like I don't really get much of a sense that there's there's much at stake here but, but it was okay because what Aaron has is like 
an absurdly high level of ideas. So I think that's why for me it's like Gerber, eh, I kind of see it more. It really strikes me as a much closer successor to Morrison's X-Men for the first time. Oh, no, I, I can definitely see that, especially with this fourth issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, There's something it, about the, the flash forward in the fourth issue that I was like, aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That flash forward, it, it has that element of aha, and it also does have a really nice level of... Of yeah, it's just it struck me as very Morrison-ish, but actually more controlled than Morrison was in his run. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 it knows where it's going, whereas Morrison sort of, and I think I've said this before, Morrison has like an emotional sense of where he's going, but the details are really fuzzy. Whereas I I think I think Aaron knows exactly where he's going, Mm -hmm. or at least has learned to fake it so that you think he does. Yeah. Exactly. He's very good at faking it in that sense. Because definitely there was stuff with his... Each of his Wolverine stories has been like, oh, I know where I'm going, and it's going to blow your mind. And then you get there, and it's like, yeah... Oh, yeah, mine's not blowing. Not not blown. Although, I, I gotta say, I, I love, and this will not interest you in any way, but issue 21 of Punisher Max is was fucking great. Um... And I already spoke to uh, Jarrett Kobeck, who's a big Punisher fanboy, who feels exactly the opposite. So, you know. <laughs> so why is it great? Um, I think it's great because because you have the Punisher in what looks to be his final fight. Like there just is that kind of sense of like you, you really do get the state the the idea that he's dead but he just hasn't stopped moving yet almost before the issue like starts, which gives it kind of an extra level of, um, of oomph to it. But also because I think Aaron, um, he's done a fantastic job of, he's really sort of cinematic in his, in his flashback sequences in Punisher, which I think is it, it, this last few storylines have served him well. So even as you get, um, you know, Frank I- engaged in what's probably his absolutely last shootout fight, you know, with just, just getting, you know, shot to hell and, and brutalizing other people at the same time, you're seeing a lot of flashbacks throughout his life, which is a very kind of like the classic core, um, like it's it's a classic cliched way to do this sort of sort of death sequence in like a movie or a comic book or something like that but what i loved about it is i feel like aaron's got an ace up his hole uh in that all of the flashbacks not all of them but a good chunk of them cuz it it has it sort of shows i think aaron's little secret that he had been tilting at um, for the Punisher in the previous storyline, you know this idea that you knew that there was something that he never really faced or owned up to, or that we knew about in his quote-unquote origin about his family. The last little pieces click into place here because, in the course of his, his flashbacks, um, you see him with his wife before they're married, essentially, and like one of the first scenes is her going like, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but you're not a very good kisser, you know, and then later they're like in a car and she's like, 
do you love me? Actually, it cuts in, you know, in like late in the sequence. So he's like, of course I love you. Why would you even ask that? And they're in the back of a car seat together. And she's like, well, because I'm pregnant. And she's talking about like not knowing what to do next and stuff. And you just see him kind of like stare out of the car window with a thousand yard stare. And then you're back to him like fighting and beating and being brutalized. And then you see him basically like, well, I'm going to provide by the family. I'm off to war. I'll see you. And you realize that he is like Aaron does to me. Aaron doesn't lay it on too thick, but, but what he's getting at here is, is that Frank Castle, who's been out torturing everyone for the death of his family. He never wanted this family. Like he got stuck by marrying the first girl who he ever slept with and not wanting any of it and not being able to admit it any any of it and what's great is is at no point does Aaron actually have him say this in any way it's all just both the look in his in his eyes and his face and the actions that they show him doing and so you kind of realize that there's this thing where there's just this additional sort of nihilistic layer slathered onto the the punisher you know, male pity noir sandwich that I like so much that, you know, and honestly, I can all but hear the life force gurgle out of you from the opposite end of Skype because it is just <laughs> not anything that you would remotely care about. Or you know, it's, it's one in. of those things that sounds fascinating from one point of view, but also does not sound like anything I want to engage in. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, no, I'm no, like, no, that that's sounds like thing. it's wonderful, but so not for me. Yes, exactly. I mm-hmm. would... I don't know. It feels like I'd almost be insulting it to read it and not like it, if that makes sense. No, no. I, I, think, is... I think when something is very clearly not for you and something mm-hmm. that, that can be of very high quality but is of such an opposite, I don't know, right. viewpoint or mindset or, or outlook on life, mm-hmm. that I think if you read it and you're like, well, that's terrible, I think you're really insulting the work. I think right. you just sometimes have to accept that, you know, you're not going to get this, and that's perfectly fine. Yes. And the best part, Graham, is when you you admit that rather than I say it for you, because then you go out to get the trade and prove me wrong. A.K.A. Wolverine insane in the brain. So I, I didn't like that, remember? <laughs> I know. That's my point. And I was like, Graham, you wouldn't like that. And you're like, I'll show you. I'm. I, who's, who are you to say? And then you were like, yeah, that was... You know, that, so. that's that's the one that taught me the lesson. I was like, yeah, yep. exactly, yeah. So this is another just one. trust like, this Jeff. Be your, yeah, I. But for listeners like me who like this kind of thing, I actually thought it was done really well. Interestingly enough, because you can't, because none of this is your thing, and you can't really do the point counterpoint. I think Jarrett Kobeck, who I was discussing it in an email with. One of the things he said was he was like, I love Ennis's run. And one of the things that stuck with me is seeing Ennis at a Comic-Con where he was saying that part of what he liked about the Punisher and sort of why basically why other people hadn't done couldn't get American writers couldn't get the, the Punisher right is that he's basically a 2000 AD comics character in a in a Marvel, you know, in a, a superhero universe, essentially. No one really gets the fact that he doesn't have motivation, you know? Like, 2000 AD characters don't really have deep characterization or deep motivation. They just they just are, you Yeah, know? they just show and up and do what they do, yeah. Exactly. And that was Ennis' take on The Punisher. Um, and so th- there are, I think, those people who might feel that, that Aaron's 
um, attempts to, you know, essentially paint paint a portrait in all black strokes uh, is not going to work for them either. Um, but for me, I really, I really liked it. I do like reading, you know, very noirish things about antiheroes who are basically absences and and understanding what the nature of Frank Castle's particular absence or void is is uh has been has been really a good read so i really enjoyed this issue what's kind of fascinating for me is when you say that when you give jared's point of view like i instantly rebel against that not that i think not that i think that there's any problem with the punisher as a two-thousand needy character not that i actually agree with that but Mm -hmm. i think just because someone doesn't have motivation doesn't mean that you can't then give them motivation as long as you do it well right Right, right, right. I, I don't I, think. I, 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 I think the best example of this is Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. I think John Wagner has done exceptional work mm-hmm. filling in the blanks at his own pace. You know, mm-hmm. over the what thirty plus years that he's been doing the character now, mm-hmm. explaining why Dredd's world is the way it is and why Dredd is the way it is. Right. And I would think that would be tremendously satisfying. That's it to me. I actually think, like you said, the trick is doing it well, and it's also doing it at its own pace. And that's what I personally, that to me, that would be my feeling of what Ennis was talking about. American comic book people can't do well, you know, because American writers are always like, okay, it's going to be a flashpoint of trauma, and we're going to just come right out and flat out explain it to you. You know, but uh, but I think there's actually a lot to be said for having a character whose motivations or characterization are oblique even to themselves. You know, and that requires a lot more skill. And like I said, all this stuff that I was saying about Aaron's interpretation of of Castle, it may not be there because he never explicitly says it in the issue. It's just very much on how I'm interpreting the scenes that he's putting in there, and especially the order and how they're there, and how Steve Dillon is is having his the the actors on the page deliver them. And but is to them. is that not a sign of art? For one of them. Yeah, I know, I know, like, exactly. Uh, is that you can get such depth from implication? Yes. I think is is only a positive for the work. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. No, I, I, um, again, it's one of those things of like, man, <laughs> I like turn around and like, yeah. I mean, I would, I would love having an omnibus of of Aaron's. Punishment. Oh, I'm sure you'll get one. Because I think I think that the you know the twenty two issues all at a go are going to read like an, to me a really incredibly satisfying you know crime novel that ha- that exists somewhere right in between the world of you know Ennis's Punisher and you know but still far from the Marvel superhero universe mm-hmm. you know I I, I I'll be very surprised if you don't get that collection. Yeah, I think so too. Although, of course, with Marvel, I think it, it'll also be out of print. And yeah, exactly. Months, you'll get so. it, and you'll have to buy it immediately. Immediately, or you will never see it again. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it really is shocking that a publisher as big as Marvel has that approach. I'm just glad that you're seeing something like that in the numbers. You know, I was thing. I was really yeah. surprised looking at the the top whatever number uh, graphic novels that six of the top ten were Walking Dead. That 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 was just wow, and also a sign that a the AMC show really is raising sales because it's the most recent three and the first three. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I think that, you know, Kirkman knows what he's doing in terms of the release schedule for this shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he did it, and he kept, you know, people would bitch about it, but he... You know, he God love him. He kept sticking to it, and I think that that um, interestingly enough, I think someone else pointed out the thing, the fact that there's six of the top ten of those books, you know, are Walking Dead. But doesn't it kind of start to put to lie the idea of one because this is Diamond's list? The the direct marketplace is all superheroes, you know, or is all superhero biased, um, and also that that color matters more than black and white? Uh, I, it, it, I'm not even... It's, I don't or can you not draw that. those lessons I'm like, from that? Uh, 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 um, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm kind of blown away by it, but if only because I don't think... I think that the book market is so incredibly different mm-hmm. than the singles market. I think when people talk about the direct markets and everything to expect from that, I think they're always talking about the singles market. I, I think mm-hmm. all bets often comes to book collections, right? Well, which apparently really does seem to be the case, right? I, I, mean, I was at least looking at these numbers. Yeah, I, I was surprised by the the Batman book appearing. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Batman Noel or whatever yeah. it was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only because I'm kind of surprised there was that much audience for that. I'm not as surprised because I think a lot of people ordered it um, based on the Joker book, which was enough of a sales breakout. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people were like, "Oh, okay, I can sell." Even if I can, even if I can only sell eighty percent of Joker numbers, I should order this really high initially. Yeah, you know. Um, and uh, which is not something that I would have really expected people to do. But but again, I really get the sense that whatever is going on, yeah, the the diamond book list really suggests that things are markedly different in a, in a really fascinating way. Where is the list of five hundred? I was hoping that it was on the front page of Bleeding Cool, but I want to say it's on the beat, but I could be wrong. You know, I jumped to the story on the beat, and it looked like the one that I saw was just talking about the Marvel, only the Marvel books in the Diamond ranks. But maybe there's another story there. So, but I could have sworn the Bleeding Cool some somewhere I thought, had I thought the, the list. I thought the Bleeding Cool had the entire list as well. Though. Oh, here we go. The top 500 graphic novels of of 2011, um, and that is according to according distributed by Diamond to North American comic stores. So this is the top 500, but only to comic stores, right? Or is that, am I reading his thing wrong and, rich, you know, Rich no, himself I, I, and his I, I think I think Rich might have got it wrong. I think it's the top 500 from Diamond altogether. Yeah, from but Diamond at the time, At the same time, to, does yeah. Diamond really do that much to the non-direct market? I think I thought they were the exclusive distributors for to the book market for a number of publishers. Because if they're the exclusive distributors for Image, for example, I think that's mm-hmm. very telling. Right, exactly, and I think that might be the case. Whereas with with DC, I want to say that, D- that DC and Marvel both have other deals. Yeah, exactly. So that might be kind of interesting to me. Um, 
don't know. It's it is it's an interesting list. I I of course I'm not like you said. Walking Dead is Kirkman doing something right. I still also believe that it's it's also the closest I've come to seeing something like you know like manga in the American marketplace in the sense of you can go sure there's 15 or 16 trades out now but there's only 16 of them you know what i mean and you can buy if you buy them all you get the whole story which is something that you know you just can't say about batman or spider-man or the superman titles you know you get a whole story do you think the whole story is that much more important Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think the whole story is why people are able to sell why why Watchmen is able to to place as high in the charts as it does year after year after year after year, or why Vertigo titles are the idea that you can you know I mean definitely let's not rule out quality and everything but you know everything being equal, no I think let, that, let's just rule out quality. You know I think that you're going to be able to sell eleven you know those eleven trades of uh why the last man or however many trades there are um you know on a more consistent basis than you will ever be able to tr- sell the eight the eleven highest green lantern trades. I just think that that's really the case you know Batman might be interesting you might be able to get Batman into a case you know where there's a, enough of the books enter the Batman canon. You know, that you can have 11 books there that might approach the 11 books sold by Y or the 16 books sold by Walking Dead. But I don't think it's going to be as close. What I think stops, because I'm not sure that it's like, you know, I have read everything. I think what Mm -hmm. stops it is there's so many different competing products at one Mm -hmm. time that people just don't know what to read. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, say, say you're like, I really re- I read um, Batman and Son, and I want mm-hmm. to know more about what's happening with Damon, uh, Damien, and you know, this Grant Morrison story. And then you're like, okay, what's the next book? And you go into the thing. They're like, well, here's the detective run that was happening at the same time, and here's the Shadow of the Bad run, and here's the <laughs> Legends of the Dark Knight run, and here's the Batman the Dark Knight run, here's the Batman and Robin run. That they'll be like, what? <laughs> Fuck this. But I think but I think that's the case of I think there are people who are like, yeah, I wanna, you know, it's like I I saw the Iron Man movie, I wanna know more about Iron Man. You walk in and you just realize there's never going to be any way that you're going to master Iron Man. You know what I mean? Like that sense of like, I wanna know everything about this, and then you walk into a comic book store and you realize you never will. Like if you're a 35 year old and you're suddenly got a, a, a light, you know, lit underneath you that you are like, I want to know, I want to know that whole Iron Man story. I like everything about that guy. You know, you are you're boned. And I think that that's that idea, like why DC was trying with the new 52 of like, hey, we've got new number ones. We're going to have like new trade. We're going to have all this stuff so that somebody can come in and go, where do I start? You know, here's you're going to have a, the easiest demarcation place of like they don't exactly. even have to think yeah. twice. You, you can start to there. here, yeah, yeah, there. And yet, my feeling is is that's still not going to work in the same way that that Walking Dead having 16 volumes of Walking Dead is going to. And at what point? At what point does that come? At what point does the number get too high? That's a really good question. I don't. That's that's really kind of the the million dollar question. Um, and I don't know what to tell you, you know, like I want to say, 
I mean, it's it's a, it's such a it's such a weird. You know, this was something that I started talking with Hibbs about, actually, in a very roundabout way, where we were debating kind of, um, God, what was it? We were basically talking about people who had broken the hundred issues, you know, runs of a hundred issues, I guess, and which which of them had been kind of exceptional and which of them hadn't, and because you know, like the idea of changing up somebody's work and how many how many years do you really get out of a of a of a creator, you know, uh, working at the top of their form, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, is it eight years? Is it 10 years? Like, you know, is it more if they do like, if they do like five or six different titles, you know, I, I, and, and I don't know, we were both completely half brain dead and fried when we talked about it. So it was an, an impressively brain dead, uninspiring con- conversation. But I, I do wonder about that. Like, because with with Walking Dead, I honestly I would say the number is going to be thirty. You know? Really? Because honestly, sixteen to me feels like a lot. I remember when Bendis relaunched Ultimate Spider-Man the first time. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I'm really enjoying this. I dropped off of the original Ultimate Spider-Man. I'm going to go back and reread it. And honestly, I was like, there's eighteen trades. No, I'm not. <laughs> Right. Well, right. Exactly. And you're you are totally you're totally devoted. But I, you know, and of course with with Bendis, he it's interesting because I think that was one of the comparisons. Like he and Bagley did a hundred issues together. They weren't a hundred great issues. You know, there was a good strong run in there, and then I think around issue seventy something or other, it just started throwing gears out. You know, and in fact, what we were talking about with Walking Dead is. Um, you know, Hibbs thinks that the issue, that the storyline has gotten kind of flat and is taking too long and that basically the prime years are, are past it. And I'm like, I think they have, I, I think that Kirkman and, and Adlard are actually trying to change things up in this current storyline. And I think it's shaking up their, they're working outside of their comfort zone, and I think that will help them. I think if you work inside your comfort zone, you've got maybe about 70 issues in you. If you don't turn things around and either jump to a full another title or figure out a way to change the approach to what you're doing dramatically, you know, 60 or 70 issues. Then you, But if you change things up, I think you've got another shot at something. And of course, really what's best for a lot of creators is to, to do 60 or 70 issues and then maybe of a title and then jump to something else altogether. So we'll see with Walking Dead. But, you know, you know, what's, you know what's kind of crazy? 60 what? or 70 issues was like five years. That's a chunk. Yeah. But if yeah, Marvel yeah. goes to 18 issues a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I see what you're then that, that gets turned into what? Three years? Wait, at eighteen, no, four at 18 years, issues, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at f- with four years, you're yeah, exactly. yeah, you are. You're four years a, because you're seventy-two year. yeah. issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and I don't, I don't think that's again, I don't think that's going to do, be doing anyone any favors. I personally think that you're well. We'll see. Maybe that'll. Maybe some people will turn around under that. Maybe some people will totally thrive in that situation. But I kind of think the way Marvel's set up now. I don't see it, and I don't see no one's going to be able to turn. You know, you're certainly not going to have a consistent tone in it. You know, I doubt that Bendis and Bagley, who turned out, they turned out a lot of issues pretty quick. I don't think they did. I don't think they did. You know, seventy-two issues in four years, though. Oh no, no, 
Did they? They would no. They, they couldn't. Bendis no. got kind of ahead. Bendis got ahead, but no, there's there's a head and there's a head. They definitely took that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're probably right. No, I I because that that seems that seems suspiciously off to me. Yeah, insane. I mean, I know that Bagley's fast. He's very fast, but I cannot believe that he would be I, I, two issues of four years. And fast. part of the reason I'm saying that is I don't think that they actually had such a sustained uh, upgrade of output. I think mm-hmm. that maybe they had like you know a couple of years of more than twelve right. issues a year. I don't think it was that many. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's see. By issue seventy-two, no, five years. No, oh, five five years for some for. 72 Six, issues. Well, that's 12 for 68, 68 issues. Oh, 68 issues. Well, it's very, that's oh, no, wait. Very no, close. no, because it started in December. Yeah, it started in November 2000. And by mm-hmm. January, there were issue 68. So, so no, January of January 2005. 2005. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So that, yeah, okay. they pretty much were. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty impressive, actually. Um, you know, well, so anyway, but I think I think for the majority, people are I think I think people really suffer under that sort of. I don't know. You know, it's fascinating to me. Like I'm realizing, like a lot of the guys at Marvel, a lot the the, the at least Brubaker and Bendis have had super long runs on on their you know quote unquote name characters. You know. Oh no, they definitely have. I mean. Brubaker's had two different Captain America issue ones. <laughs> I know, I know exactly. But I mean, you know, he's done he's done a ton of he's done a really long run on that character. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'll be really curious to see. But I do think. But I, to, to go back to my original, you know, uh, bravely unprovable assertion, I really feel that people can turn around that that. That there is a lot of attraction to people in like oh even if it's sixteen titles like that's going to don- that's going to turn off some hardcore people but I think that there are Walking Dead pe- people who are intrigued by Walking Dead who will jump on that and they'll they'll burn right through those you know and and keep going you know because I don't know you know to me it's like they had like. Uh, those weird men's action novels. I'm like, how many novels did they get out of like the destroyer or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, but but did that, did many people go, I have to read volume one of the destroyer. Yeah, that is actually probably true. The, the people who, I thought you just jumped on. Yeah, exactly. Not having read the destroyer, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. It's like, huh, I didn't read, you know, Hong Kong hijacking, but I did read Bangkok Blowaway, and then I went on through the rest of them (laughs) to I don't know. No, no, no. Your 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 writing career, I think, definitely. Glasgow gas gam. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, someone please hire Jeff Lester to do this for a living. Just come up with these titles. That's all I want. That's that's really all I'm probably capable of. But, You're like, I can't come up with the stories, but the titles I can do. Well, let me tell you, the Hackensack Hacksaw Incident. Go! <laughs> you can do it, sir. You can do it. Absolutely. Um, so, well, hey, t- tell me what your other Marvel books were. I'm curious. Okay, so four issues of Wolverine and X-Men. 
uh, one issue of Secret Avengers, which was Ellis and Eamonn doing a story that uh, that I think David Brothers wrote very eloquently yes. about. What, what did you think of that scene? I almost bought the comic because of Brothers' uh, commentary. I thought I thought I thought David's commentary was very strong. It also made me wonder if maybe you know I wasn't sure if he'd seen the other issues of of Secret Avengers because I I felt that that was com- well it, I'm sorry the other Ellis issues of Secret Avengers. It didn't seem to me especially surprising if you've been reading the other stuff. Like it's, there's uh, a, is that a, a positive or a negative? Like, are you saying that in the sense of that's nothing? You should see what else he's done. Or are you saying no, 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 in the no, sense no. of there, it is given more context within everything else he's done? Um, I, well, okay. Here's my thing. I think that, and I could be wrong. I think that uh, you have like uh, Ellis is not especially reverent towards superheroes. I think it's very telling that David, in his analysis. Compare, you know, talks about Garth Ennis's characterization of Superman, for example. Um, that that there are characters who Brit writers will be reverent toward for one reason or the other, but I don't think that it's a very strong stretch for a writer from the UK to look at Captain America and treat him like the embodiment of America as as perceived, you know, by people in the UK. You know what I mean? So I don't necessarily I was kind of like I don't I don't see that that's, you know, I don't see how you could get anything but that out of Warren Ellis in a way. You know, I think that he was actually soft selling, soft selling it. Yeah, as much as he could without being like totally while, while still sort of remaining true to what, you know, his voice and even his own, you know, hacky version of his worldview, you know? So I, I was I was especially unperturbed by it, you know? I've It seems to me like that's just what you get. And having read it in the various issues, I was, I think I was a little more worried, like at the start of the run, I think, you know, when, I think, again, Rich... Uh, reviewed the first issue for Bleeding Cool and made it sound a lot better than it was. But he did say at one point that there was an undercurrent, an under, you know, um, undertone to uh, Ellis's characterization of, of Steve Rogers as like, yeah, he's a guy who's going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And I just kind of feel like that's like, you know, for Ellis, the idea of having a character be put in sort of any sort of espionage agency of any kind and not have that approach to it would just be absurd to him. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's very implicit into this characterization of Steve Rogers and who he's at. I don't know if Ellis ended up on regular Avengers, if he would go with that same characterization. I frankly don't think that he would. I think he was like, okay, this is secret Avengers, so they're doing secret jobs. They're doing espionage jobs, and that's going to be like, hey, you know, torture's torture is going to be, you know, torture is part of what what it happens. Yeah, is is part of what happens. You know, and so I, I don't know. I'm I I didn't I didn't quite have those feelings. I mean, what I've been interested in is reading each of the books in various, 
you know, because he's done each one as a done in one, I've been fascinated by the stories that for me, you know, where they come close to working and times where they entirely don't work. And this was a story that I felt entirely to me didn't work. It was interesting that he like Ellison Eminem came back and did a book that's like, oh, well, you know, we're going to do something that's a little bit like the next wave level of crazy shenanigans without, without the, without the piss take humor, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just, it, it, it didn't, it didn't work for me. It felt like a very loose stitching together of scenes and sequences with like the most minimal of hooks done to, to call it a story. You know, by contrast, I thought the other, the issue that came before it, as dull as it was, felt to me like I had read an actual story, a boring story, but, you know, and similarly, you know, going back, David Aja's Kung Fu fight in Tesseract space, which should have been awesome, I was just like, mm, yeah, I'm just mad at So I think I was looking at it from such a different degree that when David, you know, wrote his analysis, I'm like, oh, that's really very smart. But I, I guess I had some very weird, cynical version of like, well, pick your battles. You know what I mean? What did you like, expect? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was kind of like, I, you know, I could see that level of frustration and disappointment in, um, if it had, po- if that had been the characterization that had popped up at, say, in Fear Itself or something like that. But, but, you know, for Secret Avengers, I'm like, eh. I mean, do you, here, let me flip it around as a question for you. Do you think of any characters? As, do you think of everything that a character does in a universe as automatically in canon? I suppose. Uh, no. But at the same time, if someone does something that is not in line with my personal canon, it causes problems. Sure. But, but, hmm. Let's... Do you see what I'm saying? So what I'm saying is I don't think that, you know, if, you know, Captain America jumps back in, in time and stops the Lincoln assassination mm-hmm. and then the next issue, like, fucks the Black Widow and then arm wrestles Bucky, I won't be like, you know, three months from now why is he saying that he could never beat Bucky in an arm wrestling contest? He did that back after he fucked the Black Widow. But at the same time, I would read it and I'd be like, this is just, you know, this is not the Captain America that I think is is, is Captain America. Do you know what I right. mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, yeah, I agree. And so, so Brother's argument makes sense for me in that sense. Sure. That it's very much like, this is not the, this is not who I think Captain America is. Right. This is someone else's idea of Captain America, but it does not ring true to me. Right. Yeah, and actually, to me, I thought the best thing that out of David's piece is he did an awesome job of articulating who Captain America is and should be and why, and which is why I really appreciated his piece. But I also kind of had this thing of, I guess for me, I've reached levels of... I just there's things where I odd there there are guys that I expect are going to do a good job at making the characters work in quote unquote in canon and then there are going to be those guys that I kind of expect won't and depending on their degree of how influential you know they are or are going to be it's it's something that I I I feel more compelled to strive against 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if, if Jeff Johns turns around and, and takes a character and his characterization for them seems way out of line with the way I perceive the character and the way the history of the character has been, it really ruffles my feathers a bit. Whereas if that character is being written by, I don't know, Bruce Jones or somebody, I'm just like, it doesn't matter. No one's going to remember this, you know? Sure. Like, so I mean, but I think at the same at the same time, I think when Alice does it, it almost mm-hmm. feels like a special case because Alice is going to take the piss. Do you know right. what I mean? Like I, I almost yeah. feel like Alice comics are automatically out of canon. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my thing. I, is and like, it's funny is it's funny that we're having this conversation this week because this week I read all of Alice's Astonishing X Men. Oh, interesting. Right, right. The whole shebang, all th- yeah. all three volumes. Um. And let me Which, just say, before you go into that, that is something that I would never think of being as in canon in a million years. Yeah, well, that's just it. Like, it's almost actively out of canon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but what's kind of amazing about it is, like, they're empty comics. They're comics that exist because someone asked them to write an X-Men comic. Does that make sense? Mm, like, yes, yes. There's no reason for those comics to exist, and yeah. that is abundantly clear on every single page. Did you read yes. No, I think I might have looked at the very first issue of it, the very first issue, and I was just like, this is so – because, I mean, on top, it's coming it, – you know, it was coming in Astonishing X-Men right on the face of Whedon and Cassidy's work, which was kind of all but the opposite, you know what I mean? Like, it was such a – like – like it ended up working its way in back into Marvel canon, but it was so good. Like I approached Whedon and Cassidy's canon, uh, Astonishing X Men is like it doesn't matter if it's in canon for me. It's so clearly a work of love up for these characters and for the yeah, X Men, yeah. you know. And so to me, the idea of following it up with Alice was I was like, huh, that just seems like the opposite of what you want to do, you know? It's like going from a I guess a, a warm bath into an ice cold bath, you know, because I can't imagine that Ellis would have any interest in those characters at all. And the first issue also is Simon Bianche, whose work was lovely, but weirdly not right for the X Men at all, in a way. To me, oh yeah, it's 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 horrible. I mean, it's very, um, it's very European and it's very heavy metal. Mm-hmm. But that just doesn't work for the X Men. I mean, it's, it just does not work for the X-Men. And also, again, his storytelling is shit. Really? He can do lovely, lovely, lovely images. And his mm-hmm. storytelling, his panel to panel, is really horrendous. Man. I've, I, I'm trying to think. What the hell did he do? Wasn't he on... Was he Shining Knight on Seven Soldiers? He, he did Shining Knight on Seven Soldiers, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. That's all right. Which was one of the more disappointing works for me. But I did, it's funny. I didn't really track it in a way that, like, oh, his storytelling was bad. I, I honestly did, um, have not read enough of him. He did a, a Wolverine with uh, Jeff Wolf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think I maybe... Again, I saw the first issue of that and was like, this is... This is it was like a catalog of everything I didn't want to read, you know. Well, it could be worse. It could have been this X Men run. This X Men. It's, yeah, it's, it's one of the things like this X Men run was had lots of interesting ideas. Uh huh. But it just it was really dry. How did it, they get it, so many issues out of it? 
do you think? Like that? I mean, three bolts. Well, that's like what eighteen well, issues it. or like, something. Be, it was Simon Simon Belanchi for the first six. Then it was Phil Jimenez for the next six. Then Weird. Marvel launched their astonishing line. Remember, because there was also Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, and Astonishing yes. Thor, and Astonishing Captain America, which never appeared. <laughs> No, really, Astonishing Captain America never came out. <laughs> it's the most astonishing title of all. Yes. Yeah. What's astonishing is the publisher. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, so it, it never, it, it, you know, when the way of all things flesh. Um, right. But, yeah, so there's three collections. So is the is the third one Bianchi and that's the Ghost Boxes one or no? That's not? the first one. The first one is Bianchi oh. and the Ghost Boxes one. Oh, and okay. Then it goes to um, Jimenez and it gets really weird because it's called Exogenetic and then the one after that is called Exogenesis. Oh yeah. Oh right. Right. Wasn't there and some I, weird I seem to thing remember where coming out at the same time or something? Right. Like? Yeah. And and all but. People were like, is this the same story? Like, don't they have, like, a lot of the same beats? Wasn't there some weirdo thing where people all but asked Ellis if he had, like, basically sold two different pitches that had been, you know, developed from the same base pitch to to the books? Or am I thinking of something else? Here's the thing. I read them this week. I read them this Mm -hmm. weekend. I honestly can't remember already. You you can't tell any of them apart, really, in a way? I cannot remember... What happened in the in the Jimenez one? Wow! I'm not joking. I, I have no recollection. I can remember the first one. Bianchi has right. um, Forge. If you remember Forge mm-hmm. from from Claremont's X Men, um, who is suddenly crazy and bringing in mutants from other dimensions and has to be killed. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the last one is essentially a Captain Britain riff. Fascinatingly enough. Weird. Uh, really? It's got yeah, it's got the Fury from Alan Moore's Captain Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got the parallel realities from Moore's Captain Britain, and it's got Jamie Braddock from Captain Britain, mm-hmm. and it's got Doc Crocodile from Jamie Delano's Captain Britain. Hmm. And it's really alternate hot. versions of all of them. Huh. Like alternate reality versions of all of them, apart from Captain uh, Doc Crocodile, who is just a different character for some reason. Hmm. That's really odd. It's really odd because, of course, I I was like, didn't Ellis do a turn? He did a turn on um, Excalibur, didn't he? Yeah. But it doesn't really riff on any of the stuff that he brought from that at all? Or? Nope, not in the slightest. Wow. But the Himmel run, I honestly can't remember what happened in the Himmel run at all. <laughs> not joking. I, I just can't remember. A Scottish comics writer is touched inappropriately in six issues of... Yeah, I don't... And it blocks it all out. Yeah, who knows what happens in that? <laughs> well, I want to look it up now. I'm sort of like, uh... Like, I, I know I... Abigail Brand's there, and I know mm-hmm. it's space shit, but I honestly can't remember beyond that. <laughs> Well, let's see if Wikipedia will, like, fill us in on that. I'm sure it will. I'm sure Wikipedia has a breakdown issue, uh, arc by arc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this will be, um, right, uh, exogenetic issues 31 through 35. Agent Brand's investigation of an orbiting laboratory in space ends with it self-destructing, damaging her escape shift ship. As the craft falls towards Earth, she radios the help of the X-Men, who save her before the craft can crash into San Francisco. Oh, yes, I remember it now. It's got the the fake Professor X at the end. Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, actually, one of the reasons I might not remember is thinking about it. It's incredibly disjointed. It doesn't hold together as a story. It, at all. Well, yeah. Uh, right. Brand which reveals you, Which it, you might be able yeah. to get if you keep reading the thing, but it. it, it yeah, once more. we got to the brood Krakoa hybrid, I'm like. They find another dead mutant paradigm who Cyclops destroys the mutant remnants of paradigm, killing him while the X-Men fight off a brood Sauron hybrid. Uh, Kago is revealed to be a deformed elderly man with numerous genetic abnormalities and disorders, a true mutant born from the mother who survived the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. He reveals that he hates the X-Men for their perfect bodies and incredible superhuman abilities despite being labeled mutants, where he's deformed, trapped in a deteriorating body. In retaliation, Cyclops decides that he will not kill Kaga, but ensure that Mutants Sans Frontières gives Kaga the care and medical attention he needs for the rest of his natural life. Yeah, Mutants Sans Frontières is also an Ellis invention that goes all the way through the series, and I don't think it's ever been mentioned again. Right. Right. It is exactly. apparently Warren Worthington's um, freelance peacekeeping force <laughs> to defend the mutants. That uh, is, is completely a plot engine. Like it exists so they can be like, "Great, let's send it to so and so at Mutants on Frontier." <laughs> it's it's it really is like it reads like someone was like, "Please, will you write these X Men comics?" And he's like, "Okay." And especially that arc you just talked about, when the end comes and it's the, I hate you because your bodies are perfect, it really feels like he's taking the piss. Really? <laughs> well, I do believe it. Yeah, there's something about the line, perfect bodies, where I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, well, yeah, I can't, I'm fascinated that you read all of those, Graham. Considering oh, I, not- I, I got in this really weird Warren Ellis. I was like, I want to read mm-hmm. lots of Warren Ellis. So I read those, I read Freak Angels, just the first volume, and I read uh, Crooked Little Vane, his novel. Oh. Huh. And I, I, read, I read Crooked Little Vane, no joke, in an afternoon. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. I remember reading the first sample chapter or something. In something like I don't know, fifteen minutes or something. Yeah, it, was... you're, it it reads very much like um, an Ellis parody, but there's something mm-hmm. about it that you get completely sucked in. So by the end, you're like, you know, this man is honestly making fun of his own obsessions, but uh, it's it's very readable. Oh, good. All right. So it's well. I mean, it makes sense. I would like to try it. It's weird. I remember that first chapter being sort of reading like a little bit like parody Ellis or or very bad Hunter S. Thompson and which is being, parody Ellis <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and and being a little underwhelmed kind of but uh, but but it does sort of get better or more engrossing as it goes along or is it one no, of those no, it's, no it just it just accumulates <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being serious it doesn't get better at any point but you've come so used to it that you're like, uh-huh. sure, because at no point is it off-puttingly bad. Right, it, it's I see. It's lazily written, and it's, mm-hmm. it's comedic for the wrong reasons. It, <laughs> right. But it is enjoyable. But and it's enjoyable. Keep reading because it's enjoyable, and then, you know, midway through, you're like, Does, you know, I want to see how this story turns out. It's not a good mm-hmm. story, but I want to see how the story turns out. I want to see how it turns out, yeah, exactly. Well, that's you know that that is that is some level of success. So that's great. I'll be curious to see what happens with the second one. You know, in that regard. Which is soon, huh. right? 
I, th- I think I think I think, so. the, I think he wrote that he was putting the final touches to the rewrite right now. So, wow, yeah. So I mean, good for him. Good for him getting that second career going. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, by all means, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, did you read Batman number Batwoman number five? I did. What did you think? I liked it better than Batwoman number four. Um, I thought well, true, but we didn't have very high impressions yeah. of Batwoman. I thought four, it we? was. Let's see. I liked the DEO stuff. I pretty much just liked the end of the story arc. I thought it was a good mm-hmm. cop out. Um, it felt a very weak ending for the first storyline. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind I, of I liked half of it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there. I, I. It's funny because there's some things like I thought the. To me, in a way, it never beat that first page, you know, because that it's a first first page. Yeah, that 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 first page where there's the sort of meditation and the train of associations in it, with the with the occasional like comic, panels in that, was lovely like really just kind of a great because he does because he's amazing he's able to take her train of thoughts and be able to map the visual associations between them you know when it's like going from encircle to sigil to seal to seal he keeps the circular motif in them and then evolves it into the sea into the death and the smoke and you can see the um the literal visual similarities that lead you in each of those places. That was astonishing to me, but it's fascinating that it was then followed up with this big showdown, you know, with La Llorona, where it was like, really? That's the way that you beat this person? Yeah, and and also, to be honest, I can't believe that never happened before with anyone. Exactly! Exactly. It's like, like it all you need was... to stand up to the scary woman, and it's like, really, no one has stood up to the scary woman before? Right. Well, they stand up to the scary woman by not being engulfed by their own guilt. You but know? That, we... that's what I mean. Like it's, yeah. And also, what's kind of fascinating is something else I read this week uh, was Gil Simone's last arc on Birds of Prey, The Death of Art, mm. mm. which, mm-hmm. which has a villain who has exactly the same power, who is beaten in, beaten in exactly the same way. Right, right. Well, I guess that's the thing, is it almost seems like... What is it? It seems like, yeah, that's kind of this weird kind of... A, a little bit like what we are talking about with New Defenders. Like, okay, that's how... you If you have the character that does that thing, like, you always beat them in that way, sort of, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I thought that that was... What's interesting to me is it's more abundantly clear when it's something like, oh, I don't know, Anger the Screamer, Scarecrow, you know, where it's like, oh, they've got this motif. But it's very weird that you've got that whole thing of like, you know, especially because the first page is her brainstorming how to defeat the the weeping woman and it's basically like I'm going to set her on fire, but I'm also going to defeat her with my powers of supreme assholishness, you know. And that's kind of like a very odd way to like. I don't see where it necessarily flows. It makes sense once you're in there, but getting there was just such a weird little mess of its own, you know. Um, 
And again, the, the, the second half of the story was really odd. You know, really? two I, places. You, you mean the the uh, stuff with bones, or the stuff with at uh, the end where she's like, "I will find your children." Uh, actually, it was. I guess it was a trifecta of weird. To me, it's like the stuff with bones because the whole idea of like, "Yeah, I'm making you a deal. You come work with us." Uh, you know, and it really is like, "I'll help you in every way. You'll have awesome accommodations. Like, you'll get free back rub. Your dad is going to be let. Uh, you know, we'll never have to go to jail. And in fact, we're giving him a solid gold car. You know, like it was one of those weird things. Of like, why wouldn't she? T- what? It was such a weird factor of like, why wouldn't she take this job anyway? That it seemed to make no sense why he had the weird hard sell of like, I'll kill you and every person you've ever known, but I also will give you free yogurt if you sign up now. You know, like it was really weird to me. Like a I know, see, that, that worked for me because he was just trying to outsell Batman. I, I thought the implication was he thought that she had made her mind up about Batman already and he was like, ah, fuck Batman, I can do this. Right, right. Well, I, yeah, I guess I guess that could probably work for me. And then, of course, when Batman was like, "Oh, this is going to be a problem," you know, I was like, "Really, Batman? You're really that much of a dick?" You know, yeah, like, honestly, yeah, that that was a problem for me. Where he's like, "You really? <laughs> that's what you're doing? Because we're going to end up fighting." <laughs> I mean, that that was like, really, seriously. I mean, it is weird. It comes really close to the way that Batman used to be beforehand. That. I thought they'd done a pretty good job of erasing that. Like, I I appreciate the fact that's no longer really the way that I see Batman anymore. You know, like the crazy control freak who's like, what? You're fighting, you know, evil in the name of the country as opposed to me? That's not going to fly. You know, like, really? You've got a problem with that? Like, it just seemed odd. And then, yeah, and then popping up at the end going, I don't know how, but I will find your children. You know, and just I will. It was like really. Mm-hmm. And then, and then at the end, I will soldier on. I was like, "Wow, this is like a really bad video game cut sequence to me." It was a very like, odd end, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It really was. It was like it was that's like, your last page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, I know we didn't really get around to those kids, but I, I've given her motivation to enter why she's going to be working with this guy more than anything is to help find those kids. And who knows, maybe they'll wrap that up, but I mean, because of course there's obviously the villain behind the villain, but it just seemed really, it seemed it seemed, to, it seemed a little sloppy, which frankly, after issue four shouldn't be surprising at all. Uh, okay, here's the question. Are you going to keep buying Batwoman? Probably. Probably. I asked because I don't think I am. And also this week I got Green Lantern issue 5, which is the end of that story arc. And that story uh-huh. arc also ended so dissatisfyingly. I'm probably not going to keep getting that book either. Oh my god, really? Because you were really enjoying the first batch yep. of those issues. And then the last issue is pretty much, let's put everything back to the way it was at the start of the story. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I no, I, that's, that does not work for me at all. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a complete Deus Ex Machina um, end to the Sinestro core, and then Sinestro's like, "Hey, so I gave you a ring, but I'm not going to give you a battery to charge it. See you later, Hal Jordan." And Hal Jordan's like, "I'm in love with you, Carol Ferris." The end. 
I was hoping that it was going to be I'm in love with you, Sinestro, where I'm like, well, that'd be an awesome <laughs> change you, of... you can't leave me. What? <laughs> Please, don't go. No, but really, I, I, was... I, got, I got fan vision. I was like, yeah, this story pretty much went nowhere apart from tidying up the Sinestro core plot, which A, didn't need to be tied up, and B, yeah. you didn't even do well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What a shame. It, it really was like, oh shit, you did so well. This is the first few issues, and then you com- you completely screwed the landing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's really disappointing. And I read Frankenstein. Did you read Frankenstein v. Omac? I mean, I'd already no, decided. I I, I, just, I just didn't. Oh my god, you bastard! You tricked me into getting this stupid comic book so that we could discuss I, it, it, and you didn't even get it. Because I ended up buying a trade that I, I didn't think I was going to be buying, so I didn't want to spend too much money. Well, I have to say, interestingly enough, I like the dialogue for Frankenstein more here in some places where it was different. Is it different. the same dialogue? Uh, at for pages it is but I'm relatively sure and Hibbs was like yeah it's pretty much like the exact same comic book and, I, and I'm and i like really? he's like yeah and I'm like no he's like yeah and then I, I picked it up and there's not that much different there but there's enough Frankenstein-y type bits of dialogue that were I thought better than the than the issue of OMAC and admittedly I'm impressionable that I'm like no he added extra bits and pieces into it and yet it's still it's it's pretty dissatisfying. You don't really get to see a lot of other stuff. Like the the actually interestingly enough they don't the you know the whole page with him and the arms and stuff is kind of a little two two page little epilogue where it's like he has a suggestion of um a, a plot idea of where to where to go that I'm sort of it's kind of half interesting, but I'm just I'm you're done. Eh. I'm done. I think I'm done. It's kind of a shame. Uh, again, the in between in between the art and just kind of like I think maybe if I had been following Sweet Tooth, I would have I would have enough faith in Jeff Lemire to me being like, "Oh yeah, there's some there's some kinks here, but he's going to work them out and it's it's going to get better." And I'm just kind of like I don't really have any faith that this is going to get any better. Like, I I don't like the art, and even if they switch the artist, I don't have enough faith in the writer, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so I think I'm just off of it. But in terms of, like, Batwoman, which I don't like a lot, um, at least I feel like the art is so... I just... I love some of the storytelling that I'm like... Yeah, I'll spend $3 on this, which is kind of foolish. I should okay. really wait a month and pick Bear it up. Bear mind that... Jedge Williams is now off the book for the next arc because Amy Reader's taken over an art. <laughs> and this is why Jeff should really read the news. I'm like, huh. No, no, he's, I, going, he's going to come back. He's alternating sure, arcs. Sure, yes. Right, alternating arcs. But, yeah, how's that How's that's going to work? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Huh. I, I, I don't know. I just, the writing has... Because I, I think it was issue three that I was like, yes, they finally got the writing well. Because I, I wasn't a big fan of issue one or two either. And issue three, I was like, they've got it down. And then issue four right. was such a mess. And then issue five yeah. was just not good. I mean, I don't like it enough to keep buying it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah, I'm being a little silly with my DC 52 stuff. It's not like I'm buying a lot of titles, but like this, and I forgot to pick up that previous issue of The Flash. But there's a few books that I read for 
visual panache, and it's a shame. And one of them, OMAC, is getting canceled, so it's not going to do that much for me. But talking talk about visual panache, did you pick up the shade this week, the uh, Darwin Cook drawn version issue? No, 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 I didn't. It's lovely. Is it? It's, it's just it's gorgeous, and if you can mm-hmm. pick up the Darwin Cook cover, you really should because it's this beautiful, beautiful like majorly designed thing that's just gorgeous um, but it's just it's really this series is just James Robinson being like remember I wrote Starman and that was really good yeah. <laughs> turns out I can still do that I mean this is pretty, this is as close as you're going to get to a Starman book right right which really does beg the question of what happened. What was he like, doing in the other books? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if you can't I, I do this, why Justice does it? I liked this Justice League of America. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the same book at all, but I liked it. Mm-hmm. But no, there's 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 just something very, very nice about this issue of Shade. It's it's beautifully drawn. It's beautifully coloured. It's Steve Stewart doing the colouring, so, you know. Mm-hmm. It basically looks like um, New Frontier. Mm-hmm because it's the same art team um, and it's it's James Robinson being being very James Robinson being very you know it's 1944 so I'm going to use as much of the DC Golden Age as I can given that so much of it has now been written out of continuity so like the vigilante shows up and he's like you know he doesn't have superpowers but he's a good guy and they're fighting Nazis and it's just it's just really nice and it also has a spectacular opening line oh does it? It goes, it was April 14th, 1944, and I confess, until that day, my only anti-German act had been abstaining from pumpernickel. <laughs> that's the first page. That's the only writing of the first page. <laughs> yeah, that is clever. I mean, that's great. I, You know, it's interesting. I just never, for whatever reason, Robinson, I've never really attached. Like, um... Like, it did one of those, like, oh, I'll read Starman in trade, which was like, oops, you know, and now, of course, I, I now that I have the opportunity to, I just haven't. Well, I, I read I read Starman in the Omnibuses. Right, which is relatively which, which recently, is, right? Yeah, it's like the last three years or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's got to be the last three years. I got them all from the Portal Library, so yes, it's got to be the last three years. Um, <laughs> but... That's the way to read it, I think. I, th- I don't think I would have enjoyed it half as much first reading it month to month. Mm. But when you read them and it's, it's like big batches of like 12 issues, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, kind this, of- is, this is a satisfying slab of comics. Hmm. Well, that's always, that's always good. Um, yeah, kind of, I'm like, hmm, I seem to think that I have a satisfying slab of comics story, but I don't think that I do. Okay. Oh, so might, yeah. Uh, oh, on you go. I do remember what it was. I read the Shonen Jump Alpha preview that Viz oh, is up on Viz and Manga. Isn't it like 124 pages? It is 124 pages for free. I mean, like, I assume that it's That's following starting. the base. Isn't that crazy? And I mean, it's like all comic. The thing that's interesting, though, is is that you're like, it's... And it's and each chapter is twenty pages at a go. The thing that's ironic is because I, I started to read the thing about Bakuman and I'm like, oh shit, this is like several volumes ahead. Like yeah, I, uh, yeah, I should yeah. be able to figure out which one it is. And I actually emailed Viz and was like, Hey, are we getting fill in volumes between Bakuman and When Shonen Jump Alpha 
you know, like they're doing with Naruto and, and Bleach and stuff so that and One Piece so that everyone's caught up is on, you know, basically caught up by the time Shonen Jump Alpha launches. Mm-hmm. And I keep not hearing anything back. So I think I'm I'll be sure really they said they, they were. I'm sure they actually mm, didn't announce it. If they have, please let me know because I've not been able to find that. Um, I really haven't. Uh, I got one response of like, keep watching the pages of, you know, the Shonen Jump Alpha page for announcements. And I, I haven't seen anything. And then I, I, I asked them on Twitter and did not hear back. So they're like, stop fucking asking us questions, Jeff. You, you, God damn you! You know you're the only person on this continent who reads it. Anyway, so I didn't read the Pokemon section, which, for all I know, which is ironic because that's part of why I'm getting the subscription. So you know, at first I was like, oh, I'll just jump in, and then I was like, no, I can't do it. I don't want to miss anything. Then for the other stuff, like One Piece, Naruto, Bleach, all of those books, like the chapters were confounding as hell like I'm like I don't actually that's not true Bleach was the most conventional uh, one Um, let me see here I should what I should do is like go through and I can probably talk about each one very very quickly if the app boots um hello where are you don't you're doing a weird thing I'm I'm also reminding you right now that you actually have to jump this week yes yeah I know actually yeah, I've got I've got a bit of an extension, so I think I should be able to get away with this uh, if I do it quickly enough. Right. So Shonen Jump Alpha. There's Bakuman, which God help me, I skipped and it broke my heart. There is Toriko, who's like it's like something weird, like Toriko Astro Cuisinart. You know, um, let me let me get to the right page. So kind of, yeah, exactly. It was. At first, I was like, oh, this this will never work. And yet, oh, I've got a bookmark that's going to fuck me. Um, right, there's Bleach. Now I've got to remove the fucking bookmark. Get to page. Hello. Yeah, the interface is not as nice and buttery smooth as I would like. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Toriko. And it... In a savage rule, in a savage world ruled by the pursuit of the most delicious food, it's either eat or be eaten. While searching for the tastiest foods imaginable, gourmet hunter Toriko travels the world with his bottomless stomach, facing every beast in his way. That's kind of oh, seriously, sold. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. So, so it's right in mid chapter where it's some sort of crazy. Um, you know, card playing game where people have to turn over the cards of strange exotic foods and then they have a certain amount of time to eat that food uh, in order to get the to get the points from the card totals. And it's just oh, and actually I think you'd be really happy like one of the characters has synesthesia, which I thought was kind of awesome. Um, which somehow allows them to read the difference in the electron electromagnetic waves emanating off the cards. Okay, so, I have to ask, why do you say I'd be happy at that? Well, because I know you've got synesthesia of some sort, so or or chances are good you do. See, I love that you remembered that. <laughs> I, I was afraid you were going to be like you. You outed That's me as on me. What? <laughs> So, um, so yeah, I actually loved getting this free preview just for reading the 20 crazy pages of that. Then there was One Piece, which I swear to God is the last part of a storyline. And 
I had no idea what was going on, but there's yelling mermaids and like semi, as far as I can tell, utterly sentient platypi and whales who help stop a floating island from colliding with something else. And it, if nothing else, man, this the storytelling of it, the, not just the storytelling, because actually there are points where I literally had no idea what was going on, but the actual dynamic layouts and the density of the read was absolutely fascinating to me. Um, and then there's Naruto, which again is like ninjas fighting each other, but it's very much to me, it, it, it always it always reminds me of weirdly of Jack Kirby, even though it's not especially Kirby-ish, but just because of the idea of the Kirby hook. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like Naruto is a kid who's not just a ninja training to be the best ninja in the world, but is half demon as well, you know, and so he keeps running, you know, so he's got his special magical half demon powers that give him, help him, you know, in all of these utterly crazy, you know, battles with magical ninja guys. So he's fighting a bunch of ninjas who, as far as I can tell, have gotten extra powers by having their eyes removed and replaced with artificial mystical marbles or something. It was pretty <laughs> or, okay. Or something, yeah. Or something. Yeah, uh, Bleach was actually the most comprehensible story of, of them all because it's... Uh, one of those little quiet interlude sections where um, the main character has, it's such a superhero book. He's like, after years, you know, how many issues or whatever of being a soul reaver and having to fight demonic entities and stuff with his soul, sorry, soul reaper powers, he loses his powers and gets to live a normal life. And so it's very much everyone's like, well, I bet you're sure missing going out and fighting evil. And he's like, I've never been happier. All I've wanted was just to go to school and be a normal kid. And I'm like, wow, this is such a weird, like, it was weird that I'm like, huh, this is the most identifiably superhero issue in there. And then there was uh, Nura Rise of the Yokai Clan, and Nura is three quarters human, but his grandfather is none other than Nura Hayan, the supreme commander of the Nura clan, a powerful yokai consortium. So Riku is an ordinary teenager three quarters of the time, but he's being trained to be the leader of a hundred demons. So as you can see, it's all about the demons here. And that was absolutely incomprehensible to me, as I recall. Honestly, um, that really reminds me of uh, Robert Kirkman's Invincible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I suppose so. Except that it's a little, um, I guess it's a little more upfront about his origins, or maybe it wasn't, and it that was kind of its big reveal later. But um, yeah, that was the only one that I really found dull, and frankly, that might have something to do with, by that point, I had already consumed like a hundred pages of comics and had already encountered you know, one half demon and two other sets of competing ninjas, you know? And let's face it, after Tobiko Cuisine Hunter, like, you know, everything was going to be kind of a distant second for me. That, that is, but that is a great idea for series. Like, I totally want to read that series now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, definitely if you get a chance, you can pick up a good chunk of it for free. I don't necessarily know if it would, like, float your boat, but... um but I really appreciated the opportunity to read it, and I'm kind of excited that I'm going to get a big chunk of this stuff, you know, to read weirdly every week. Like I kind of yeah, don't like, know. Yeah, like part part of me is like, that. how will you be able to keep up with that? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, either I'll start having favorites that I follow and other stuff that I don't, but, um, you know, because if nothing else, there was a stage of, like, I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I only understood, like, I really didn't follow, like, two of the three most popular features. I was like... I don't really get what's going on. And I even read the first 12 volumes of One Piece and the first volume of Naruto. So mm-hmm. either I'm going to have to Wikipedia it, um, you know, but we'll see. I, I, I am kind of, but, oh, but my point is, is that actually I read the majority of this on my lunch hour at work. So huh. it reads, it, a lot of it reads pretty quickly. I mean, depending on how much time, I guess, because the two of the issues that the, again the Naruto and One Piece story was pretty much each of them were like 20 pages of explosions like really intriguingly it, designed quick. abstract explosions but yeah it's super quick sort of the way that manga is kind of designed to be but um, but yeah so yeah I'll be really curious it may be like from here on out it's going to be you know you talking about like other comics and me going, ha, 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 oh, Graham, that's just like what Naruto would say, you know. Like, I, that would be the greatest podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in your life gets seen through the prism of Naruto. <laughs> that would be pretty funny. Okay, so in theory, we should be stopping. Do you have? We should. We, we should. We should be stopping, shouldn't we? We have gone yeah. on past your cutoff time. I know, just so that I could babble like incoherent wait, about a bro. I want to say one thing about big comic slabs. The trade I got that I, I didn't expect to buy, Essential Marvel 2-in-1 Volume 4. Oh, wow. I didn't realize Which that was out. Finishes, off, finishes off the series. Wow. Takes it all the way up to issue 100. But I didn't realize until like leafing through it before I bought it that it's got the stories that were reprinted in a British comic that I possibly have talked about before called The Thing is Big Ben. <laughs> I don't think you ever have told me about that. That was a, 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 black and, a black and white reprint in Britain. That right. Start, that had the first in three strips. The first one was Marvel 2 and 1. Mm-hmm. The second one, I actually can't remember. The third the one, third however, one was... Paramount and Iron Fist. And that's where I first saw Paramount and Iron Fist. Really? Wow. Yes. Okay. That's uh, fascinating. This, is, this has got to be when I was like, I say, I want to say 10, but I have the feeling I might be completely wrong. Um, I'm looking up right now and see if I can find. Yeah, um, I'm like... Thing is, see, the thing is, Big Ben feels like something you should just not be Googling. <laughs> you have to put the quotes around it. You really have to put those quotes around it. Oh, shit. 1984, so I was 10 years old. Okay, there we go. Wow. Um, yes, but the, so this is incredibly nostalgic to me, and the fact that it's essentials means it's in black and white, so it's hyper nostalgic. Because I've read, mm-hmm. like, I've got all the Paramount Iron Fist issues that reprinted in this comic, but they're the original issues and they're in color, and it's there's this weird disconnect for me. <laughs> it's like that's not right. No, it wasn't like that. And <laughs> these these things being in black and white, it's spectacular. It's as close as it could be without actually getting, you know, the stories cut in half, right? And with expositionary text added to the start of each episode. <laughs> yeah, that's that is kind of amazing. Where is the? I was hoping they would say what the middle strip was. Did they? Did you it find it? It doesn't say. No, I can't find it. Let's see. Does it say in comic book TV? Uh, no, and that's a big. Oh yeah, Iron Man. 
Oh, okay, okay. Iron Man, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And it was the it was the Leighton Michelini Iron Man. Huh, that's kind of tonally weird. I would think to go. Oh, it was a it was a very odd like mix of of stories. Um, but yeah, so it, it's completely a nostalgia buy. But based on the two stories I've read so far, the first one. The thing in Wonder Man fighting because Wonder Man is making a TV show based on the thing's life that he doesn't like, but it's okay because a monster is possessing him to do it. I mean, really. Uh, the second, you know, was, the cre- the second was the creation of the American Eagle, the super Indian right. character, which is yeah. like filled, filled with just hilarious cliche. Who's now? Who's writing in this issue? This was after Peter B. Gillis left, right? Yes, uh, Doug Munch is writing that issue. It is. Let's see: Tom DeFalco, David Michelini, uh, Doug Munch, lots of Tom DeFalco. In fact, David Kraft writes a run. Hmm. Jan um, Strad, Strad. Oh yeah. Uh, God, I used to know. How and and his name. and Byrne writes the last issue. Ah, uh, of course. Which is the um, the thing versus the thing story. Right. Huh. Wow. Um, yeah, what a... Gosh, how weird that those things are in those weird sort of post-Glory Day things. You know, it's fascinating that you... I realized after we had talked about the Avengers Annual and how dumb it was, um, I realized after the fact that the whole motivation for Wonder Man to sort of, like, turn against the Avengers and start saying all of his flapdoodle is that, you know, he died and had been brought back by Scarlet Witch. I'm like, Wonder Man's died three times now, you know? Like, it just, I was like, that's what that guy does. Like, the idea that somehow him dying and being brought back was like, that's how I realized. It was was totally crazy. This was an unnatural rebirth, as opposed to all those really natural rebirths he's gone through before, Jeff. was reborn in a swamp by a voodoo dude. You know, like name that dressed like a chicken, like that's for, how for bad some, off he's had. What's that? Something for Newsarama that I had to do this week is the yes. uh, list my ten favorite Avengers villains, and that's actually really hard to do. You think of like maybe the top three, and then you're like, oh shit, you're uh, left scraping the yeah, bottom Black of the Talon so fast. <laughs> Oh, okay, so when I was talking, the guy dressed as a chicken. You knew. All right. All right. <laughs> I knew. That's what reminded me. Yeah. So, yeah, my, my, oh, top that's was, great. my top was Kang, then Ultron. Right. And then I can't even remember who I said after that. I, I would I would actually, of course, flip those. So, you let's see. Ultron, Kang, uh, Loki. Uh, I put the Enchantress in there. I think I put the Enchantress higher than I put Loki. Well, it makes sense because I think the Enchantress was more of a... a, a uh, popped up more as a villain than Loki. She stuck around a lot, yeah, in the first few, in the first like couple of years, I think. You know what? This is fascinating. You're turning kind of staticky on your end, which happened last time, but we were off. Mike, it could be because we've been talking for more than two hours. Like it could just be Skype. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm like shit, but I want to like talk about who our villains are, but I don't want to try and edit out your auto tuning voice because it seems impossible. So. We'll have to talk about this next time because there's yeah, nothing I would love more. Ned's podcast, we have to list our 10 favorite Avengers villains. And then, because this is the other thing I have to do from Newsarama, my 10 favorite Justice League of America villains. Oh, nice. You know what? Here's the thing. Let's do this. Let's make, um, let's make five top 10 lists 
and then and then each, and then we'll compare them. Oh God! Oh God! So okay, what are the other five? What are the other three then? Well, I oh no, you can make you can make up whatever you want, and I'll make up whatever I want, and then so they'll be totally okay, random so, lists. So, okay, okay. Sure, sure. Let's do let's that. Do that. <laughs> that doesn't sound crazy, right? I'm up for it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, that's what we'll do. Listeners, um, have fun with that next week. They're going to have fun with this part because honestly, you sound like you've been turned into a like some sort of weird human mosquito. It's kind of awesome. Yes, I might actually pull this part and put it as the cold open so people are like, ah, Graham's the Dark Lord. Ah. It's terrifying. Okay, listeners, we we will see you next time. Thanks for thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> it's great. Graham the Lord Sauron. Goodbye. You don't, you don't quite sound like that. <laughs> <laughs>